Hi, I'm Patrick John Fluger, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. Please tell me next time you your family that to me, there's nothing more important. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hi, Hearts. Happy Friday. Uh, welcome to episode 251 of Meet Us at Molly's. We got a lot today. A lot. Um, yeah. PD had a milestone. Um, friend of the pod, Emily Longaretta, dropped an absolute bomb of an interview with Jesse Lee Soffer. This was Taylor's last episode on fire. Med's got stuff going on. We've got a lot to discuss. Yes, a lot. A lot. Okay, so buckle up. We're going to jump right in. Okay, first and foremost with the news, let's just talk about this article. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Um, first and foremost, the biggest of shout outs to friend of the pod, Emily Longaretta. Yes. Can I just say how much I admire what she did with this? Literally, every night since that night in August when the news dropped about Jesse, I do remember it was August. I have a good memory. It's been, what, six months now, and all we have wanted are answers. Yeah. It's all we wanted, and we haven't gotten them from anywhere. There were no postmortems after his last episode. There was no word about anything. Jesse's been silent. Gwen's been silent. Everybody's been quiet. Emily said, fuck that, and she went out and got us the answers. Well, not only did she get us the answer. Well, first of all, she broke the story. Yep. And then she went and got us the answers that she couldn't get when she broke the story. Yep. So that's even more badass. But yeah, that's, no. That's it, no it's, small feat. It's, no, it's not. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why isn't he said anything before now? Blah, blah. I think there's a lot of reasons. I think obviously the fact that we know he directed episode 16, I think that had a lot to do with it. I think... There's probably contracts and NDAs and things. Like, I think there's a lot of things that probably went into, like, why he could talk now versus, like, why he didn't talk back in September, per se. So I don't think it's right. Because, like, I know a lot of people are like, well, he should have said something, you know, to stop all the people, you know, from saying bad things. I mean, yeah, I don't think anyone should be harshing, you know, being mad at Gwen or, you know, taking it out on other actors or directors or whatever. But, like. I think there's probably a reason Jesse didn't say anything till now, because I don't think he could. Yeah. And we all know Jesse's an extremely private person. Uh, Yeah. Nor did he owe us an explanation. He didn't. But we as fans, really, we needed to know for, we needed to know. Um, yeah. No, I don't think he owed fans an explanation, but I do think think there should have been some comment which i guess he did comment on it when he like first you know when it was announced that he was leaving but like still i don't think he owed us an explanation i don't think he owed us this whole basically story you know with a photo shoot and like all the content that he gave us with emily but i think further clarification like you said i think the fans needed that we Um, did just to be able to move on i mean like I know it, some people are going to have problems, you know, with moving on regardless. But, like, I think I've talked to a lot of people who now say, you know, like, I'm happy to know that this is how we felt and, like, this is what it was. And, you know, like, I am I can feel better about the show and, like, I can move on now. 
you know. So let, let's get into some of the high points of this article uh, and then we can drill it down a little bit further. But uh, one of the key paragraphs in here, it just says publicly he didn't share the reasons for his exit. And there's a quote from him and he said, I've thought so hard about how to answer this question and there's no good answer except that I was ready for more. Yeah. And maybe he couldn't articulate that at the time. Yeah. And I think we've always said that like, you know, if it's the actor's choice, we're going to support it. Like, yeah, it sucks to lose a character and an actor that we've loved for 10 years. But if it's his choice, then I have nothing but respect for that. Like, he's allowed, he even says, in, you know, later on, he's like, I wanted to grow and expand and we've only got this one. You know, he's talking about how, like, if he would have signed up again, you know, it would have been for three more years. And he's like, you know, if it's now, basically, it's now or never. Um and I, you know, like, I can respect that. Like, if it's his choice, you know, 10 years is a long time to do something. And like he said, if it's another three years, 13 years, that's a long time to do mm-hmm. the same thing. Yeah. And so, like, I don't blame him, you know, for wanting to just try something different. Um, I don't. I really don't. And I, I mold this over a lot reading the article, I was just thinking like, I was like, man, I mean, it doesn't get, you don't get more job security in the industry than a Dick Wolf show. You really don't. And so my brain was kind of processing it. And I was like, you're making good money. You've got job security. So like out of the park, why would you leave this? But then I also thought I was like, okay, well, wait a second. Monica left. John Seda left over on Law and Order. Chris Maloney left. A lot of people have Jesse left. Jesse Spencer left. Jesse Spencer. Brian uh, T. I mean, like a lot of people have left. Yeah. Um, so, and um, on FBI, Most Wanted, Kellen Lutz left. So yeah. as, as an actor, you get bored is my presumption. And that, you know, you just kind of don't feel yourself growing anymore and you need a new challenge. Well, yeah. And that's what I was just going to say. Like, I think, you know us like we view it differently and I like the thing that I would want the most is yeah like financial stability like the same job like I mean yeah I think obviously I want to be fulfilled but as long as that job is fulfilling me I have no problem if I were at the next the same job for the next 20 years yeah um but I think if I were in his shoes and I was an actor and I was someone who thrived on my creativity and being able to flourish that way I can imagine that there is a world in which that if I was doing the same thing over and over again, at some point I would be tired of it. Yeah. And just ready for something different. Not to say that I don't appreciate where I'm at and think that it's something I could do forever, but I just want to try something different. And TV, it makes it hard, right? Like it's a different, it's one thing with like movie actors because like you go to a movie for 60, 90 days and you're done. Mm Mm-hmm. But like on TV, you're there for 10 months and it makes it hard to go do something in your little off time that you get. Yeah. Not saying you can't do it, but it makes it very hard. Right. So I get it. Like I really do. And like I said, as long as it was his choice to leave, I respect that. I really do. So Emily also addressed the Upstead stuff with him because, you know, we all talked about the character, the the uh, the character assassination. Yeah. Yeah. And so he basically just says, he's like, I know the fans are upset because like, you know, they're asking, why isn't Jay calling? What's he doing? And he says here, he goes, you know, the show must go on. I don't think I really have the right to feel any way about that. The writers have to do what they have to do to service the story and the characters that are still there. 
Also, our show is pretty dark and they love diving into the ugliest, hardest version of life. So for Haley to still have to go through this, it probably just made sense. Okay, here's the vibe I get from that. Yeah, I get a little, I feel a little subtext there. Okay. Just feel it. Um, Yeah, where he says it probably just made sense. I get the feeling he's like, no, I'm thinking what the fuck are they doing too? It's just that I'm not on the show anymore. So like, why would I care? I was going to say, I think I agree and I disagree with him. Like, I do agree with him when he says, you know, the show must go on. Like, I do get that. And I think, you know, it's like when Monica left or, you know, even Jesse Spencer left in season 10. Like, these people aren't coming back maybe for a guest appearance or two, but they left for a reason. They're not coming back to the show anytime soon with any kind of regular, you know, appearances. So, like, yeah, the show, you know, in whatever circumstances these people leave, like, the show then has to adapt with new storylines and new characters or whatever because these characters that we've known for so long are not there anymore so i do get that the show has to go on that like we can't just live and you know if jay halstead isn't there we can't just pretend that jay halstead is still there you know for the next two years or you know 20 years or whatever (laughs) but i do disagree with when he says i don't really think i have the right to feel that way about it i mean i listen like you're he knows Jay Halstead better than anyone. Yeah. And I disagree the fact that like he's allowed to have his opinion on what they're doing to his character off, you know, off in the white space. Yeah. Jay is yeah, I, I, think he, I like the fact that he's like, I don't have the right to feel any way about it. Yeah, like you don't have any say in what's happening, Jay. Like, I get that you're not on the show anymore, but like you do have a way to feel that like you feel like he's either being assassinated or like if he says and i mean he says that you know like he's still deeply flawed like yeah i get that i mean i'm not saying that jay hall said's not deeply flawed but that doesn't mean that he doesn't feel like what jay's doing is wrong to Haley, or you know like i just he's still allowed to have feelings about what they're doing to jay yeah that part i disagree with yeah and that's why i feel like him saying i don't have the right to like feel any way about that that's probably him being very diplomatic and just being like yeah i i have opinions i'm just not gonna say them yeah no for sure and i get it he's there he's not gonna go burn bridges so like there's probably a lot you know i'm sure that that is him being diplomatic but I, like I said, I agree that he is right that, like, the show has to go on, but I disagree that he isn't allowed to feel anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Jesse just says at the end of season nine, he decided to leave. They decided to bring him back for three episodes in season 10 to give him a, and I air quote, proper exit. Whether it was proper is up for debate. Um and yeah, then we get some tidbits about his his episode that he directed, which is episode 16. It is a Voight episode. Yeah. Uh, it's called Deadlocked. And basically, yeah, Voight goes off the books and he goes rogue. And but Jason said that Jason said for Jesse's first directing job, he did a really good job. Yeah, this is effing spectacular. Yeah. So um, go ahead. Yeah. And then Jesse just goes on to talk about how, like, you know, he's ready. He wants to be a lead on a show and have his own show. And, like, you know, God, I hope he gets that. Like, I would watch the hell out of it. And he even talks about how, like, he wants to, you know, potentially do, like, a role on a Taylor Sheridan drama or a period piece. 
And like, I'm just trying to imagine Jesse in a period piece. And I'm like, I don't, I can't necessarily picture it, but I don't care. I will watch the hell out of whatever he does. I'm just trying to imagine him on Yellowstone on a Taylor Sheridan show. I'd but he could the get the best of, of both worlds. 1923 did get renewed for a second season. He could get the best of both worlds there and get a period piece and a Taylor Sheridan show all in one. Yeah. I don't know. I'll follow him wherever he goes. Uh, yeah. Does this feel like closure to you? I don't know if it feels like closure because this, let's be real, this is really, it's always going to be hard to stomach. But I think it makes me feel better about it. Yeah. It's a yes and a no for me. Yes, because we know, we finally got the reasons why, but no, because something still, something about it still does not sit right with me. It's hard. I think it's just that I miss him. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I think, you know, and I think it's harder too, because like we've talked about countless times already. I think the fact that the fans are having a hard time wrapping around, like wrapping their heads around what they're doing to Jay out in the white space. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. Because like, Mm -hmm. for example, like even like when Jesse Spencer left, well, they didn't never like went and said, a bunch of bad shit about Casey. Like, in fact, they kind of did the opposite. They would and never. They talked about Casey all the time. They're like, no, he's doing great things out there in Portland for the boys, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, or on the other hand, they just never mentioned the, they get like one line for the character and that's it. Like, we've literally never talked about Antonio Dawson again <laughs> in like years. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I think this is hard because it's the first time we're really seeing a character constantly brought up but like in a way we're not happy with and i think that's making it harder i think if they had just said like jay's gone like if jay was just gone and they never mentioned him again it may be a little easier to stomach and i think if they were talking about jay being like yeah he's in the army but Haley's happy and you know blah 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 or whatever then like i think we're all fine too i think it's part of because like i said they're basically not talking about jay in a way that fans are happy with that we're it's making his exit harder big time i think that's a big part of it i mean they're they're i i've said it before i feel like we got catfished i really do like the jay halstead we knew for the 10 years was not the actual jay halstead he really was yeah it's hard it's hard to it's hard to stomach that it's hard to merge these two versions together and pretend they're the same person yeah yeah. But also, my gut says he's going to come back one day, which could just be the denial phase of grief talking. Well, he even says, so obviously Emily asked him, like, is the door basically completely closed? And he said, definitely not. He said, never say never. I feel so bad for the fans that are like, is he going to come back? What's he going to do? What's going on with him and Haley? Um, and he says, I like to think, and I hope the fans think this too, that he's just in another country right now doing what he does best and making the world a safer place. In a family, sometimes somebody moves away or goes to college somewhere else. And then he says, I still love it. I still love the fans. And I still love Halstead. Um, I mean, I don't give a shit what he's doing in Bolivia. I'm more mad that he left his wife. Well, without talking to her, that's really the thing. Again, nobody has a problem with him going to Bolivia if he just talked to Haley about it. If they had made the decision together, because that's what married couples do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 
yeah, I'm I'm glad we have the answers, but it's it's still it still hurts. Yeah, it's always gonna hurt, and that, you know, it's always gonna hurt. Yeah, you remember back in like the early days when we very very first started the podcast, and like we would always talk in like worst case scenario, and both of us were like, if Halstead or Severide ever left, like we'd be done. Oh, and here we now, are. They're both. Yep. And now they're both MIA. Yeah. Great. One's gone for real and the other one is gone for now. I feel like that gif from Community when the guy walks in with the pizzas and the whole room's (laughs) on fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's been this whole season. Yeah. I think, like I said, I think it's just hard because it's a transition year. We were just talking about this before we started recording, but it's like, it's a transition year and that those are always hard regardless but the fact that it's like so many things happening in this one year like jesse taylor um all the med exits um jimmy i mean like there's just so many things that happened this year Derek leaving i mean like there's just so many things happening in this one year that like one of them would be hard but like the combination of all like 10 of these things it's like wow yeah. It's just, and it's not to say that it won't get better, but like we were talking about it, it's like comparing it to like a team that's like tanking or like not doing well, like sports team. Like there is a cycle. It will get better. It's just, it may not be better right now. That, that, yes. So um, that's all we've got for the news. Um, yeah. Cause we've got, we've got episodes next week and then there's another hiatus and I, yeah. So um, we've got new episodes next week, and then we're on hiatus until March 22nd, episode-wise. Um, so, yeah, no episode descriptions, nothing really. Promo photos have dropped for next week, and there's a really cute one of, you know, Dadam and Uncle Kev watching Michaela's figure skate. That's about I'm it. already dead. Oh, I know. Me too. Already too. dead. And I love that they're working in Ramona's ice skating skills. It's so cute. It's the cutest. Yeah. The best. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah so if you see any news please send it to us you guys were really good about that it does help us out a lot because sometimes we miss things so um two patron shout outs today hey oh mm-hmm. um so this first this first patron um uh, they interact with us all the time and we were not able to learn the correct pronunciation of their name i'm so sorry okay um uh, i'm gonna try it luke voke you're googling you just copied and pasted it I did. I'm trying to see if I could like hear it, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, what does woke mean? That's not what I want. Oh, no. Um, how to pronounce? No, how, I don't want to pronounce how to pronounce woke. That's not what I want. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, goodness. Well, um, yes, they are new patron. Welcome to the fam. I'm so sorry we did not reach out for the correct pronunciation of your name. Please, please, please drop us a message and let us know. Yes, um, please. Please. And join the Facebook group if you're not in there already. So um, that is one. Go ahead with the other one. Um, We also have Taya. 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 Derike, 
do we have like is there a way on patreon patreon to like ask questions when people join like we should ask that and be like how do we pronounce your name you can message them but we want to get it right guys we want to get it right yes please let us know Mm -hmm. um but yeah welcome to the family we are so glad you guys are here um yeah very very much so um is taya or taya i'm so sorry if i'm mispronouncing it is is taya the one who is on the social media hiatus and is not joining the group just yet because that's impressive no no it's somebody else yeah okay um yeah somebody else is on a social media hiatus for like six months and i commend you that is hard to do i wish i could do that yeah so um, if you'd like to support the pod for as little as two dollars a month, please check the link in our socials. So much good stuff there. We've got a big old family. It's a yeah. big old family. Um, I will I I will commence Timeless as I previously promised in the mailbag episode. I will start watching Timeless probably after the Oscars. Um, yeah, in a couple weeks. In a couple weeks. So we got some movie watching to do before that. We got some homework. We got some homework. Brandon, we're gonna see each other next week. I know. Oh my god. Oh my god, it's happening. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're taking the podcast to New York for the weekend. Um yeah, little sister Lauren's joining us. Broadway uh, and friends. Broadway and friends. That's literally the, what the weekend's for. And friends. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. That's next week. All right, without further ado, shall we move into the episodes? Let's do it. All right. All right. Med. Med. What did you think of this one? I like this one. I mean, there's little things here and there that I'm like, eh, but like overall, I really like this one. It was just kind of like, okay. I like this one. Okay. Yeah. I know what we're going to have, like, literally, I have some things to say about this Hannah and Archer things, and I know you're not gonna, you're not there. We are allowed to disagree with each other. We are allowed to disagree, but I'm just saying... I know, and I have I have an opinion you might, like, throw tomatoes at me for, too, but more about that later. Okay. Okay. Let's start with Hannah. Queen Hannah of Gaffney. Yeah. Just love her. Okay, so Hannah is working out like a boss, just doing her thing. Also, I need to know where she got her workout gear, because she looks so cute. So yeah. cute. Those joggers were adorable. Anyway, beside the point. So... She's working out. She gets a call. It's Liza. If you don't remember who Liza is, Liza is the patient we met earlier in the season. She's pregnant. She, too, is a recovering addict. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she and Hannah know each other from, was it a it was a clean living home or situation that they were in, like, years ago. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Liza's in labor. She's in labor. The baby is coming. And so Hannah gets her situated and she's like, okay, I'm going to go get, you know, Dr. Pachewski. And Liza's like, no, like you're sticking with me. You know, my history, you know how I tick, you know, all of this stuff, like you're coming with me. And so Hannah asks Archer and Archer's kind of grumpy this episode. Did you notice that? No, I didn't think he was that grumpy. Oh, I got grumpy vibes. See, like, in my head, again, as someone who is more into the idea of a potential Hannah and Archer thing, as he's, like, doing all these things, like, Hannah's like, can I do this, please? Like, literally, and I'm like, of course, Archer's not one to, like, necessarily bend the rules, but I'm like, of course he bends them for her, obviously. Like, that's how I take it. I'm not seeing. 
I'm not yeah. seeing it. I'm just like, okay. oh no, I literally every time I was like, yeah, I, that's how I saw this. I was like, oh yeah, no, he's just bending the rules for her, but like he doesn't bend them for anyone else. Like if like Will comes up to him and is like, hey, can I do this? He's like, hell no. <laughs> he's like, fuck off, redhead. Yeah. Um, okay, but like, do you think he's developing feelings for her or does he just better understand her now? Why can't it be both? Because it's always both. I mean, I think it's partly both. I think, I think I'm, I I think they're definitely having a connection. Whether he realizes he has feelings for her, that's a different conversation. But I think their connectioning is deepening. And I think that is part because he realizes the more as he gets to know her, the better he actually understands her. Okay. And vice versa. Whatever happened to Archer's kidney problem? They haven't touched that in like a long time. <laughs> Who knows? It, it's been a couple weeks. It feels like 20 years because we had that hiatus, but it's not really been that long in episode land. True. True. Yeah. So Archer at first is like, like you're the ED, OB. Why, why would you go up there? And then he finally agrees. And he's just like, just don't dilly dally. Okay, boomer. Whatever. Uh, yeah. So Liza delivers like a champ. Might I point out that she's a recovering addict? Yeah. Who probably can't have painkillers. Mm-hmm. She probably delivered naturally. Champ. MVP. Um, yeah. So she delivers the baby, and you know she's holding the baby. She gets kind of nervous, and so she hands the baby back to Hannah. She's just like, "Take her, take her." Um, and so. Later on, Hannah's letting like Hannah's gonna go back to the ED. She goes to let Liza know. And instead of running into Liza, she runs into Liza's and I air quote, boyfriend. Uh yeah. AKA her dealer. Yeah. Yeah. Dealer. So uh yeah, Liza, Liza shot up heroin. So um yeah, not great. Not great. Uh, yeah, and like, and the other thing too, when she goes into the bathroom and she, like she turns Liza over, like you can just hear the heartbreak in her voice. The way she just says it, she's like Liza, like no, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she has this moment with Archer. You have no idea how hard Liza worked to stay sober. You have no idea. Well, I don't doubt that. But we just found a strung out on heroin. She was overwhelmed and exhausted after a grueling labor and had a serious lapse of judgment, but. I know that she could get back on track. Hold it. Wait, you're not actually suggesting that we send a baby home with that woman? Of course not. I want to find a sober living situation for Liza. A facility where she could still receive treatment while still caring for her yeah, baby. You are swerving so far out your lane. Not to mention that you are mandated to report this to, no, yes, yet. the appropriate not, department. Not until I figure out a way to keep Liza and her baby Then together. you let DCFS take care of it. They're far better equipped. Yeah, what if they can't, huh? Liza doesn't have family in the area. Who's going to take the baby? Obviously, you care a great deal about her. Because I am her. I have been her, and the only reason that I'm standing here right now is because people didn't give up on me. So I am not giving up on Liza. You have till the end of the day. Okay. He was, he was reluctant there. He was going to go full Archer there for a second and then kind of remembered who he was talking to. That's what I'm saying! that's what i'm saying he's like if it was literally anyone else other than hannah i mean and i think he was right like obviously he does have to be like 
no, like, these are the rules. I mean, he is the ED, chief of the ED. Like, there are some rules that he has, you know. But, like, I think he doesn't give her the extra time. You know, he doesn't do any of that other stuff if it's not Hannah asking him to. That's fair. I mean, she did have to remind him, like, wait, a, don't forget, like, I was this girl. And the reason I'm here is because people did, well, did not give up on me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Could have gone worse. But Hannah runs into DCFS lady coming off the elevator. Snap. Um, yeah. So she immediately goes like zero to a hundred and goes scorched earth on Archer, which I kind of loved actually. Uh, she like stormed in and she was like, you had no right. Like, how could you? And so Connor's like, or not Connor, Zach, Zach, <laughs> sorry. Um, Zach just like does the awkward back out of the yeah. room of just like, oh shit. Oh shit. It's going down. Uh and yeah, Archer's mad. Archer's like, first of all, don't ever dress me down in front of a resident. Um, yeah. Second of all, I did not call DCFS. And <laughs> so Hannah's like, well, fuck, who did? Liza did. So you requested DCFS be called. Liza, why? When I held my little girl for the first time. I could feel her depending on me, needing me for everything. I couldn't take it. I broke. Liza. These last few months have been the hardest of my life. And it took everything in me to stay sober, but I did it for her. And now I, I just, I can't muscle my way through this. Okay, I've been there. Every time I got sober for someone else, a family member, a partner, it lasted a year at the most. Every time I'd relapse, it finally stuck when I got sober for myself. I'll be honest and say I didn't see that coming. Maybe I should have, but I was too wrapped up in everything else. But I did not see the fact that it was going to be Eliza who called DCFS on herself. I I, I saw it the, the minute Eliza handed the baby back to Hannah and was just like, take her, take her, take her. I was like, oh, she's the one who called DCFS because she like, you know, she doesn't feel like it's the best situation. It was heartbreaking to listen to her talk about you know, getting sober for someone else and, and listening to Hannah talk about too about how, you know, the sobriety only lasted a year every time she did it for somebody else. Yeah. But it didn't stick. That would be so terrifying. Like I've, I've never been in that position, but I imagine it would be so scary just knowing that this threat is just out there all the time. Yeah. Of just, you know, relapsing and using and like there could be, you could just see a bottle of pills or you could see something that could trigger you. Yeah, but like like they said, you have to do it for yourself. Yeah. Um. You know, like even like you said, Hannah says, you know, like if I did it for someone else, like it didn't work, mm-hmm. and like take it from me as someone who did the work. And obviously, when Hannah went back, when Hannah left Chicago and went to L.A., um, you know, the reason she did that was for herself. And look at where she is now. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. And all of us were like, "L.A. is such a bad idea." Another yeah. reason why she's a queen. Yep. 
But yeah, that would be terrifying. I, I would like, I feel like I would constantly feel like something's out to get me, like, like taunt me, you know, that's yeah. scary, scary to think about. Um, so basically the way it ends is that the baby's going to go into a foster program while Liza does a treatment program. And I like how the DCFS lady made sure to remind her, like, look, the whole goal of this entire thing is reunification. That is the priority is getting you back together with your baby. Yeah. Uh, the baby who we learn is named Hannah. Oh, cue all the tears. I know. I know. So cute. Hannah was so proud. And like she like she gave like she gave Liza the little nod and then she gave Archer the little nod. And like Archer would never give the nod back, but you know, he was just kind of like, all right, like yeah. Cool. It was really cute. So, it ended well. Because Hannah is a queen. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. So we got some listener thoughts on this one. Um, Heather B said, I know a lot of people are going to balk at Archer snapping at Hannah, but at the end of the day, I think he's sort of her boss as head of ED. And I can see why he would have a problem with her coming at him guns blazing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think he was out of line to remind her that like, you know, I mean, like we even talked about, like he is her boss. Like there is, he is still like at the end of the day, like, you know, he is still in charge of her. I mean, in a sense, you know. He's still her boss. I would yeah. never talk to my boss that way. Yeah, no. It's a good reminder, though, because I, I forgot that for a second. At first, I was like, she can call you out if she wants to, but at the end of the day, he I is mean, her she boss. can call him out, but in, a, like, a respectful, you know, way. Sometimes you just gotta say the blunt thing. Yeah, but you have to toe the line, too, of, like when Hannah and Archer are in, like, friend mode versus, like, when Hannah and Archer are in, like, boss, you know, subordinate relationship mode. And this is why Brian and I work so well as a duo, because I'm like, let's just do the thing! And she's like, let's just think about that for a second. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> That's why we work so well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Devin A said, I appreciated how hard Hannah fought for Liza in the effort she made to stay clean for the rest of her pregnancy. She knows how hard the road is, but she wanted to give her every opportunity to prove her doubts wrong and that she wasn't a lost cause. I'm glad Hannah was there to fight for Liza because any another doctor may not have. Yeah. Well, I like how they brought her back. Like, we didn't talk about the fact that, like, you said that we already met Liza and that she came back, you know, and that we got to see, like, what Devin A saying. Like, we saw her in the beginning and then we saw her now that she's, like, at the end of her pregnancy and now become, like, a mom. And that journey, although we didn't see, like, a ton of the journey, but still, we got to see a little bit of, like, a beginning and an end. Um, so I thought it was cool that they brought that patient back, um, you know. Yeah, that was a cool callback. I love when they do that, like little callbacks. They don't do it all the time, but they do it enough where like when they do it, it's like, oh, yeah, like that is who that patient was. Like, okay, yeah, that's a cool callback. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Very cool. Next up is Crockett. Crockett, Crockett, Crockett. I know. This was a good one tonight, though. I enjoyed his story. No, I like this one. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So Maggie, it's like on her way in the hospital. Um, by the way, Ben and her, Ben moved back in. So Maggie yeah. and Ben are there. I mean, they're still, you know, I'm sure have things to work out, but like, you know, on our way back to. She's so happy, though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and she's like walking in. So she's walking in the hospital. She's talking to Goodwin and she spots this like 2.0 infomercial as she's walking <laughs> in. Like Jack is narrating and Crockett is like standing there next to him looking like 
all sorts of uncomfortable. And it's just like Crockett had to be like forced into this. There's no way he just like volunteered to do some infomercial. No, no, absolutely no not. And as he talks about it, he is so uncomfortable. It's so funny. Yeah. And even at one point, they're like, oh, our 2.0 is to surgery. What GPS was to travel. And it's just like, mm-hmm. that's not exactly the, it's not an exact comparison. Tap the brakes. Yeah. There's Tap a big the difference between yeah. like, oh, did I go down the wrong road? Oh, let's stop you from going down the wrong road and having to turn around versus like, let me tell you how to cut open a body. And, you know. So basically what that line is saying is that anybody can do surgery. Right. Because OR 2.0 will guide you. Okay. Yeah. BRB, I'm going to go do an append or a, a, this, not, what was it called when you get your appendix out? Um, appendectomy. Yeah. There goes that joke. Yeah, I'm going to go remove a gallbladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Can't record next week, Brian. I'm doing brain surgery at 2.0. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Postponing the trip. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, that's on Thursday night. I'll be in New York. In oh, time. okay. Okay. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Operating one day in New York the next day. Casual. Casual. As one does. You know, me, the the lawyer who has no medical experience, but it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. You'll make it in time because Jack Dayton's going to fly you out on his uh, private jet. Private so. jet. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, and of course, like, so Crockett and Maggie are working together this week, uh, which is a really cool pairing. I really like, and they switch up all the pairings this week and I really I enjoy them. I liked it. Yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed the them. <laughs> um, so yeah, which is, so of course, like while Maggie's working with him, she like gives him crap about the infomercial, which is just like, uh, duh. Can I have your autograph? Yeah. So Crockett's patient this week is a guy who basically sawed off his hand. He had there's a lot of severing of body parts this week in West Chicago. A lot of severed limbs, and yeah, yeah. I know you said that you weren't going to watch Banshees of Incheron, but like, no, the timing was weird. Let me tell you, because like, there's 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 some severed limbs in Banshees of Incheron. So like, between that and then like this and PD or not PD, uh, fire, fire. I was just like, enough, enough, like. Yeah. Can we just keep the limbs attached? Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, I was impressed that everyone knew to stick it in the bag of ice, like it, stick it in ice because they both fire. Well, I know that too, but I'm just saying, I feel like most people don't really think about it. They just like bring you the fingers or the whatever. Um, so they like walk in, the friends like walk in and they're like casually holding the hand in a bag of ice. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Well, no, not even the ice. And like at first, he was like, you're supposed to put it on ice, right? But at the end of the day, like, find you a friend who's going to take your severed limb and to put it hospital. in a bag and bring it to the hospital. Yeah. That's like the ultimate test of friendship right there. I would do that for you, Gina. I would do that for you, Bryna. <laughs> so Maggie has some questions about the hand because basically if they can find a long-term way to perfuse it, they can save it. Um, at Croc, like I said, Croc and Maggie worked really well together because at no point, like Maggie brings up this idea and at no point did Croc be like, that's stupid. He was just like, you know, he answered her questions that she had about the procedure, but also being like, yeah, I think it's a good idea. Like, let's look into it. Or like, maybe, you know, what if we did that? Like, you know, like they really just bounced off each other really well. Um, it was really nice to see. I love the way Maggie like operates. Cause I mean, as, since she is the one who like, controls the ed she like tailors herself to every single doctor's needs 
And like, yeah. I think, I feel like she knows every doctor in that ED like better than they know themselves. Well, yeah. And she has a different relationship with every single one of them. Right. Yeah. Right. She um, knows how to act with each one to bring out the best in them. Yes. I love yes. it. That's a superpower. Yes, definitely. Well, uh, yeah, that she's a charged nurse for the reason. Yeah. Um, so Crockett suggests this thing called ectopic banking, which basically means that they attach his hand to the back of one of his legs for a week. Um, and it's definitely a real thing. Like there have been articles. I know somebody was posting about it in our Facebook group. Um, it's been done before. It's definitely a real thing. Weird to think about, but definitely, uh, definitely a real thing. Um, and like, but Crockett though, he's like definitely drinking some kind, like you said in the outline, like the 2.0 Kool-Aid because he just starts rattling off stats and the likelihood of the guy using his hand again. And Maggie though brings him a little bit down, you know, brings him down to earth again a little bit. Um, in here. Hey. Hey. You got a second? Yep. Um, is this operation really worth the risk? If anything compromises blood flow to the hand or the foot, Rob could develop an infection and become septic. The 2.0 will be assessing blood flow every step of the surgery as well as predicting if perfusion can be maintained post-op. Okay, clearly you know this technology inside and out, but it's also never been used for this type of procedure. (laughs) So what are you saying? What, I oversold Rob? No, but I think that you've got a lot invested in 2.0. And maybe feel a certain pressure to use it. I'm not gonna gamble with a patient's life just so I can show off my shiny new toy, Maggie. Of course not. Yeah, Crockett wasn't even like he wasn't. He was on autopilot this episode because he was just like 2.0 will fix everything. Yeah, because everything he's done for the last like 20 years, it feels like he's been 2.0. Yeah, so I'm glad Maggie was like, so you'll regain feeling after a lot of physical therapy. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, provided the reality check there. Yeah, but of course, like. Where Crockett does draw the line, though, because, like, Jack, of course, wants to film it. And he's like, you won't even know they're there. And Crockett's like, I don't know about this. Like, um, he's, like, not on board with that part of it. Jack is such an attention whore. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like you can't do something without then promoting it. Jack like, is what happened to of... just doing things just because you did them? Yeah. Jack's the kind of guy who, like, gets stuck in a building fire and instead of trying to get out, like, films it. That's Jack. Yeah. But like, instead of trying to help, he's just like, selfie. Yeah. Yeah. Such an attention horn. So, and then, of course, you, like, cut into OR 2.0, and, like, Jack's phone goes off 20 times. The camera guy is like, hey, can you move, like, to Crockett? He's like, can you move a little bit to the right? And Dr. Song's like, uh, no, he has to stay there. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, did he really just ask? that i i was like really really because like my shot would be better than no no he's literally a doctor in the middle of surgery yeah like uh, not as bad as this next part though yeah so basically so they're they run into an issue because one side of the hand isn't getting adequate blood flow so crockett's like well we should hook the artery up to something else and like in doing so he basically stumps 2.0 you have reached the end of 
Yeah. And they're like, so what am I supposed to do? And it's just like, use your best critical judgment. And he's like, stop. It's like, of course. And it's like, what the hell? Literally, like, so what do I do here? Use your brain? Like, Crockett needed to be reminded of that. Right. I mean, I think it's an important lesson, though, and obviously one that Crockett does learn. But it's just like, technology is great, but it can't be, you can't solely rely on technology. No. No. And, like, even that's, what you know, they're like, that's the price we pay for ease and convenience. And it's like, yeah. Crockett learned a lesson. That little handhold with Maggie was cute, though. It was just like they they were like, we get it. We understand each other. Yeah. And like you said, the way Ma- Maggie just gets everyone in their own way. She knows them. She knows these doctors better than they know themselves. Yeah. And like I said, Crockett did learn a lesson. And I mean, you know, the guy's going to be fine. You know, he didn't yeah. die. The guy, you know, procedure went well in the end. But he tells Grace because they're supposed to have a surgery the next day. And he's like yeah you know i'm just gonna do this in a regular war he's like i basically just need to like remind myself that i can do it but i like this though because this is a reminder that like crockett never thought that he would need this reminder but he's just kind of accepted it. he's like okay you know you know what lesson learned got it yeah and he does accept it and that's the thing that i've always loved about crockett is that like yeah he sometimes has an ego and that, like, he has that God complex that we always refer to. But, like, when he gets knocked down, he doesn't let it, like, defeat him. Right. Um. You know, he learns from it and is able to use that to then whatever lesson he learned to move on. Um, Which I always really appreciate about Crockett. Yeah, for sure. He for doesn't sure. just go throw, a, like, a hissy fit. I feel like his God complex is not as bad as Connor's was. Connor's No, was because terrible. the thing, and I was just thinking about that. Because, like, the thing about Connor's is that, like sometimes if he didn't get his way he would be like just go like stand in the corner and like cry and whine about it yeah like that's how bad his god complex was like crockett's is like crockett definitely has a god complex but it's more in the middle so like even if he gets knocked down a peg he's like you know what okay like he's like i will just use this to come out on the other end like better and stronger yeah that's how crockett is and and uh connor never did that no so um heather b said we did have some listener thoughts obviously heather b said crockett has been questioning 2.0 from the start and bucking the system but all of a sudden he's too reliant on it i'm confused but okay the hand thing in this episode actually happened in china which i was excited about because i remember it being awed by it when it first read about it also was there a look between crockett and song has anyone told will or did they end that one before it began last week i did kind of notice that you did i didn't catch anything maybe i need to go back and look I kind of noticed it a little bit. And I was kind of wondering, I was like, you know what? I think I'd like that pairing better than Song and Will. Okay. I caught vibes elsewhere, um, but maybe I need to go back and. Who else did you catch vibes with? I'm not spoiling it for you yet. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, But I do think it is interesting. Like, I don't know. I think, I mean, I do think, like you said, she says, you know, she's like, he's been questioning it from the start. And then all of a sudden, like this week, it's like, oh, he's too reliant on it. But like we were talking about earlier, I kind of liked that because I think now from now on, Crockett's going to take a more middle of the road approach to 2.0. Mm-hmm. It's like he doesn't hate 2.0 anymore, but he's also not going to be like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Like he realized that like, yeah, technology is great. And there are some good things that can come from it. 
but it's not the end all be all. Right. So, right. yeah, I th- I agree, Heather. It kind of seemed maybe a little out of the norm that he's like all of a sudden too reliant on it, but I think it'll all work out in the end. Well, I think it's pretty human that he's trying to figure out the best way to use it, right? Like at first he was skittish. He leaned into it a little bit, saw the benefit, and maybe he trusted it a little too much this time. But he, again, I mean, you live and learn. Yeah. So, yeah. And nobody died. So And nobody good. died. Nobody died. That's really what matters. Yeah. Yeah. So we've also got Goodwin. Goodwin had a good one this week, too. We don't usually get, like, good, solid Goodwin stories. No, this is uh, a good one. So there is an open spot on the board. Probably because whoever was on the board last was like, dude, this hospital's so fucked up. I'm out. Yeah, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I can't do this shit anymore. Yeah. So Goodwin's nominee is a woman who has volunteered for years. She's brought a ton of donors into the hospital. But Jack has a nominee, too. So Jack's nominee is a retired doctor. He used to lobby for these biotech firms in Wisconsin. Basically, he sounds pretty sus. Like, I hear lobbyists, yeah. and I'm just like, like, yeah. can I trust you? It just makes me think of my, like, DC days, and I'm like, eh, no. I, but it's interesting, right, how, like, the word lobbyist just sows such distrust. You're just like, I don't know if you are nice or full of shit. Yeah, like I said, he lived in DC, you know. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And yeah. Yeah. So what's even more sus about this is that Jack basically voluntells Sharon that he, he's having lunch with her that day. He's like, yeah. Oh, I checked your schedule. You're having lunch with him. Oh no. Oh no, no, no. That's that's not good leadership. That would piss me off. No, because Jack Dayton sucks. I keep wanting to give him the benefit of the doubt, but like he keeps doing. I mean, let's put it this way: we've had worse in one Chicago. We have. We've had worse. That's but he's also not great. Is he worse than Gwen? Yes. I think because he thinks he's trying to. He's like, oh, I'm the best thing that's ever happened to Chicago Med. Blah, blah, blah. I can give you money. I See, I bring you new, oh, like the new OR 2.0. Like, oh, look at me, everything. look at me. Yeah. And like Quinn was just like, no, I'm here to do my job. And like, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't like it, you don't like it, but I'm just doing my job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and Jack's intentions might have been good with like, hey, I'm going to schedule this lunch for you. But like, mm-mm. it's a little much, a little much. Um, but also, I mean, it put Sharon in a position where she couldn't say no. Yeah, like, there's a difference between him being like, hey, I would really love for you to meet with my guy. Can I, you know, put you guys in touch, you know, see if we can set up something? I have no problem with that. But, like, that's not what he did. No. But on the flip side, the lunch goes really well. He's, like, super charming, this, this other guy. Super charming. He's really nice. Chicago's his home. Um, he has he connections born to at med. med. He was yeah. born at Med, yeah, and he's grown up in Chicago. And and he just says, he's like, I'm really invested in the hospital's future. Um, so they lunch until about like three o'clock and he asks her out for drinks. And he's got game. Did you catch that? Yeah. Is this who you were shipping? No. Oh my God. So, okay. I still so, don't know who you're about, what you're going to tell me later. I'm like, I thought this is what you were going to say. I thought it was so great when when she was like, is this your subtle way of asking, like, if I'm going to support your nomination? He just goes, no, man, this is my unsubtle way of asking you out for drinks. Yes, sir. Yeah. 
all right okay uh and and basically and jack has an i told you so moment he's like i told you you guys would vibe like i told you this would go well and it's like shut up like well shut up but also like sharon's like i'm not gonna like contest his nomination but the question i had which is probably not like i'm probably just like seeing things here is that was this was this to sweeten her up on his board appointment or was this a matchmaking thing was he trying to matchmake no yeah he's not like he's not nice enough to do that yeah i i don't think i think he maybe could have been like maybe the vibe but he, that's not why he set it up mm-hmm. that is not the reason he set it up yeah so they vibed yeah um, but like I'm all for it. Goodwin deserves some happiness. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. So. I hope he comes. I mean, like, I get, I assume if he's getting the board position that they're not, they didn't just do this for nothing. So right. I hope we get to see him again. Um, I hope that Goodwin does not like let her guard down to the point that she gets let down, but that's like, oh, that's a crap. I know. We don't need like a Burt 2.0. Oh, yeah. Burt sucked. We need this to be her Ben yes yes i like that like because you know maggie had you know her first you know relationship that didn't go well and then she met ben and obviously they've had their ups and downs but like it's obviously been for the good for the most part um but yeah goodwin needs her ben goodwin needs a ben i like it i like it a lot it's good so we'll see what happens with that yeah yeah so take it away and then we have like what is probably the saddest storyline of the night. Like oh every God, time, right? every time this patient was on the screen, I was like, I don't, I can't watch this. Oh my God! Yeah, it's like on the one hand, I love. Okay, so we get Will and Nellie, and I love that pairing. I was like, I could watch them work together a lot more. Is that who you're saying you're shipping? I'm gonna just be the Kermit's big tea meme here for a second. So yes, that is who you say you're shipping. I caught vibes. I caught vibes. I didn't catch vibes, but I wouldn't hate it if they went there. Let's put it that way. I think they would be a very cute pair. And I did not realize that until this episode. I'm switching like all my, well, Hannah and Asher are still my, like, Hannah and Asher are like still my ship. But then I'm like, you know what? Crockett and Song. And I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't hate Will and Nellie. Like, I'm like switching everyone around. I'm like. Will and Nellie would make a cute couple. Men just need some more ships. Like, I just. Ned has nothing right now. Like, I wouldn't be thrilled that, like, Will is working with another female who he then has sex with, but they would be cute together. It's Ned. What are you, What else do you think is going to happen? Right, All the because, doctors hook up with each other. Like, Yeah, it's like Grey's Anatomy up in here. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Speaking of, they Grey's Anatomy Twitter should be, like, spiraling right now because it should be, like, the middle of the episode. Yeah, I'm sure they night. are. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, basically Will and Nellie are working together this week. Love that pairing. Um, and Will's patient is in a car accident and like, as they're bringing him in, Nellie comes by and he knows Nellie because the patient has renal disease and attends. Nellie runs the support group for chronically ill patients. And I'm like, we literally still know nothing about Nellie. Like we know a little bit, but I'm like, oh, like there's just so many of them. So many new people. Like, I was thinking about it when I was watching this episode. I was like, you know that doctor, uh, what's the doctor that went all the rock climbing with Hannah? Justin. Justin. I'm like, we literally haven't seen him since he was basically introduced. He did two episodes and we haven't seen him since. I'm like, where did he go? 
We saw him when um, they had the pregnant patient in the woods. Right. That was before. That was the episode before. And then they go rock climbing and we haven't seen them since. Huh. And like, we haven't seen Kai in a hot second. Before Nellie was here, we hadn't seen her in a, you know, couple episodes. I just, but not like a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just like so many new people that like they're rotating them. And I feel like. They show up and then they're gone for five episodes and then they show up and I'm just like. We need stability here, people. Yes. Or I I just, I'm just afraid that we're going to end up in like a Terry. um, What was Molly Bernard's character's name? I can never remember. Yes. I feel like we're just going to end up in a those situation where they basically just like Terry was there for like two seconds. He had one episode where we learned a little bit about him and then he just like peaced out. Mm -hmm. And then like Elsa was around for a little bit. But even then, she just kind of, like, faded. Mm-hmm. And I just would like some interns or, like, new characters that, like, actually... I would have rather had, like, one that we really got to know. And I like all these ones so far, but I just... I want to get to know them so I can, you know, get fall in love with them. Yes, mm-hmm. get invested. Yeah. But it just really hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, Justin. I was like, where is he? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, Nelly, nice to see you, but, like, where's everyone else? Yeah. Anyway, so the patient has a fractured vertebrae and he mentions it to Will and Nellie and he basically they end up doing more tests and the appearance indicates he may have cancer. So like he finds out he's about to get a kidney and that's why he was he got in the car accident because he was rushing over the hospital because he's about to get a kidney and now it may be in jeopardy because he turns out he may have cancer. So this guy has the worst luck. And he begs Will not to run the test because he's like, nobody would have to know. Like, you know, he's like, I can still get my kidney. He's like, nobody has to know. Um, But Will and Nellie actually sit down and like run through their options. Let's say we forego the MRI. He gets the transplant. If it turns out he does have cancer, the immunosuppressants he'll be on could interfere with his cancer treatment. And the treatment itself could destroy his new kidney. Valid concerns, yes but a malignancy of any kind is a contraindication for transplantation. He'll be taken off the transplant list. Right. Which is? All the more reason to look the other way. I have an ethical and legal obligation to disclose this finding. I failed to do that. It could compromise our status as a high-volume transplant center. I know. It's a risk. But, Will, this could be Isaac's only shot at a kidney. I hear you. I know. But it'd be irresponsible to let the transplant proceed until we know more. I'm sorry, Nellie. William? I was like, who is this version of Will? I am so proud of him. I mean, I'm always proud of him. But, like, for him to be like, we have a legal like, legal and ethical obligation, I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, Will of, like, even just a few episodes ago, I feel like doesn't say that. That's he's like, yeah, sexy. Isaac wants this. Let's figure out how to get it for him. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case here at all. No, I yeah, I was really surprised. Like, really surprised. Yeah. But I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, I think he learned in the Vanessa situation, like, you know, going rogue. If you're going to go rogue, you can't take other people down with you. Right. So Isaac, of course, is understandably frustrated because, you know, they, they get 
basically will decides to go through and get the mri and you know it, it basically confirms that you know he has cancer um and you know will's like you know just it will you know is kind of bummed at the end you know he's like just this morning isaac thought he was lucky you know his luck was changing because he was going to get a new kidney and now he's potentially facing a terminal cancer but nelly spins it around she's like you know or maybe not like th- maybe thanks to your diligence like we caught it early like maybe the mri saved his life which is true such a therapist thing to spin it yeah but. true though yeah and that's the end of that storyline but like i said i really i really was surprised at how much i like the will and nelly pairing i do have a question yes what are we doing with will this season i don't know like like, crockett is getting familiar with 2.0 yes archer is rekindling with his son those characters are working towards something Will and Hannah, and maybe even a little bit of Dr. Charles, although he's kind of building his relationship with Liliana, they're just kind of there. I'd actually disagree on the Hannah situation. I'd actually disagree that Hannah's just there. Because I think the point of Hannah's storyline this season is like, re, you know, she has to learn that she's more than what she already knows this, but that she's more than just her addiction, but mm-hmm. she's working on proving that to everyone else that she is not just her addiction. Her addiction is part of her, but she's not just her addiction. Yeah. And obviously then she has her like relationships, which mainly with Archer and whether you think it's romantic or not, there is a lot of Hannah and Archer friendship, romance, whatever you're calling it. There is something there that has been developing all season. Will's just kind of floating out there in the ether this season. Like, he's not working towards anything. He's just there. And I agree with that in the back half. I think in the front half, when he had the whole, I kind of taking Vanessa under my wings situation, like, in the front half, I think he had more of a direction. But honestly, though, I agree that he doesn't have, like, I'm kind of like, okay, what's going on with Will? He hasn't really had, like, a main storyline in this back half. But I'm honestly not kind of hating it. Because I think the thing, like, that proves in this episode is that Will, I think the situation with Vanessa taught him a lot. And I really have seen a growth from him in these, you know, in the back half so far with, like, yeah, Will is not just jumping to conclusions. He's not going around and sneaking behind, you know, you know, to get something that he's not supposed to. He's not butting heads with Goodwin all the time. Like, I'm actually kind of enjoying this right now. I don't want it forever. And I think at some point they have to do something with him, obviously. But for right now, I'm kind of enjoying it. Hmm. See, and I, and I mean, I'm, yeah, as am I. But I, yeah, I, I disagree a little bit on that one. Why? Um, I, I, I worry a little bit that like if you know if the storylines fizzle out, that like they're gonna want to leave. Yeah, and I guess that's true. Like it's it's hard to say that's not in the back of your head because of everything that's going on. Like and that you know all the exits that like it's like oh if they don't get something then they're just gonna leave. Um, and I think that's true, but like I said, I think right now, I don't need it to be forever, but for these like four or five episodes, whatever it's been, like, I don't, it's okay for me right now. Mm-hmm. It's okay for me right now. And that is true to life. Sometimes you're not really, sometimes you're just surviving. You're just there. You're just doing your thing. But, you know, 
Yeah. I think, and I, you know, I think it's okay that just because he doesn't have like maybe an overarching storyline right now, like doesn't mean he won't get one in like, you know, a couple of, like, I can't imagine he's not going to have something big happen before between, you know, in the next 10 episodes, eight episodes, whatever we have left. Right. Um, So I think it's okay right now. So, Dr. Charles, he's getting himself in some hot water. This, yeah. I, this, I, I don't know. This is, I don't know how I feel about this. What are we doing over here? Okay, so, Dr. Charles, first of all, first and foremost, find you a significant other who knows your coffee order by heart, okay? I feel like knowing your coffee order is like a love language all on its own. Yeah, it's like, it's not even necessarily coffee order. It's just like when someone's like, Hey, I brought you, you know, a pizza or like, hey, I brought you whatever your thing is. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's like a totally underrated love language. Oh, yeah. It's like it it should just be a separate love language all its own. It's like, Like, hey, I brought you your egg insert, your favorite thing here, like whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's under like gift. What is that one? Like gift gift or act of service. Yeah. But like still. It's a little different. It's a little more specific than like, you know, a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I go to Chick-fil-A, I know exactly what Charlie gets. Charlie knows exactly what I get. Like underrated. Yeah. So underrated. So yes. When, if you're single out there, find you someone who learns your coffee order. Totally underrated. So the custodians union is renegotiating their their contract with the hospital and a strike might be on the horizon. So Liliana's nervous. She's just like, fuck, like, you know, I can't be out of work. I send money home to my parents. Like, this can't happen. It'll be really, really bad. So Dr. Charles goes straight to his bestie Goodwin. He just goes right to the source. Yeah. Uh, And Goodwin's not thrilled. Like, she's just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, why are you questioning my job right now? Right. And so at one point he's like, well, it does make me wonder why we can't give our lowest employees even a 6% raise. Because that's a lot, Daniel. That's a lot. That's a lot. I'm lucky if I get like a dollar raise. Like, that's a lot. 6% is a lot. Yeah. Uh, But Goodwin does explain it in pretty like point blank terms. She's like, we would have to do it for all of the other unions too. It would set a very expensive precedent, which like today I learned because of like, if you're not in the position, you probably don't know a lot about unions. So, yeah. What I think, and I, you know, like she said, like, and she's not saying she's against a raise, but like, you know, that's why they are having negotiations. Like, you know. Yeah. But 6%, that's a lot. I would love to get a 6% raise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good one's like not really thrilled. She's like, why are you asking me questions about this? Like, this is weird. Stop it. Uh, so... Liliana is gonna she's gonna talk to a reporter from the Tribune and so Dr. Charles is like dude like that that's not a good idea like that's gonna they're gonna see that as like a move of aggression you don't want to talk to the Tribune um until Liliana mentions that like the hospital is basically flying in air quotes they're flying in scabs to replace the existing custodial staff just in case a strike does happen so they're flying people in from across the country um and that leads to mommy and daddy fighting Sharon Hospitals negotiating scare tactics now? They're flying in scabs? Yeah, I, I don't like it either, but it's also a necessary precaution. Did you know about this? 
when we were talking this morning? I mean, I thought you told me that the negotiations were going well. No, what I said was that I didn't foresee a strike, but look, we still have to be prepared for the possibility of a work stoppage, Daniel. I mean, anything less is negligence. What I'd say to the board is I'd say, look, isn't a, a 6% bump for a custodian a fraction of what it would be for the nurses? Daniel, I don't ever tell you how to do your job. And I'm not telling you how to do yours. I'm telling you people are scared because they can't afford to miss a paycheck. Yeah, and that's the last thing I want. That's why I'm trying to do everything in my power to avert a strike. I can't give you all of the details. I expect you, of all people, to trust that. Is this the, I, I honestly, is this the first time Goodwin and Charles have ever fought like this? That we've seen, I think so. I think so. And mm -hmm. I don't like it. No, I don't like it at all. I know, no, 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 no. Oh, she mad. I love Dr. Charles, but as she should be. No, totally as she should be. Friends don't tell friends how to do their job. Right, and like, not even just how to do her job, but it's like, she can't talk about this with him. Like, yes, I get it, they're BFFs, but like, she cannot talk about this with him. No. And like the fact all. that he's like, oh, why didn't you tell me? Well, why would she have told you? Right. Right. I just felt like he was trying to use his position as Goodwin's BFF to his advantage. And I didn't like that that much. See, I it think just didn't feel like something Dr. That. Charles would do. No, it's not. But I, I feel like he just had tunnel vision and like wanted to fix the problem for Liliana, not realizing he was stepping on his friend's toes. Right. It doesn't make it okay, though. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. Not at all. So, yeah, that, the mommy and daddy had their first fight. Mm -hmm. I love the awkward tension, like the awkward music in the elevator as like, the, it's like super tense music as they're just both like emo looking in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. So it basically ends with Liliana asking Dr. Charles to go on record. And mm -hmm. she's like, so if, if, if a doctor like supported us and left like anonymous quotes, like that would really help us out. And he's like, yeah, I cannot do that. Yeah. No. Um, and so it just basically ends with her being like, I understand. It's okay. You don't have to explain, which is all female speak for it's not okay. Yeah, it was not, mad. in fact, fine. She didn't say she's mad, but she's mad. She mad. Yeah. She mad. And then the promo for next week shows like the, the strike. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I... I don't know. The more we get of Liliana and Dr. Charles, I'm not I, something about it, I just I don't I'm not feeling it. You're not feeling it? No. Hmm. I don't hate it, but it's just not like get. it doesn't get me excited. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that he's finding some happiness. I'm just kind of like, OK, like, yeah, OK. Cool. I did love him and Cece, though yeah forever I know. I know she's on like ncis right now she's like thriving over on cbs oh um but yeah so some listener thoughts heather b said the liliana charles thing i really haven't decided if i like them together sometimes i do and other times i'm kind of neutral also i feel like they're making her come off as very naive about this journalist and i don't like it i don't like that it seems like it's going to cause problems for dr charles and goodwin she's already got enough on her plate fair do we okay. think 
Liliana, like I'm, we, I think the strike is going to end. Obviously, I get that. Like you know, they're not going to be on strike for forever. But do we think that Lily, like basically, once the strike is over, that Liliana is still at Med or no? It's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I'm just getting the vibe that like, like Heather was kind of saying, like something about her talking to this reporter. It gives me the vibes that like it's going to kind of come back to bite her in that. It, yeah, it very and that, well like, even though the strike is over, you know, maybe she's yeah. not employed. I could see it. I could see it. I mean, Heather's right that there's something like she's very, very naive about like talking to the reporter. But at the same time, I mean, Dr. Charles can't really do anything, right? Like she's her own woman. And if he does try to stop her, then it's like he's patronizing her, right? Yeah. So. Don't know. Any yeah. other notes on med? Nope, I like this episode. It's okay. It was kind of, it was there. It was good. Moving into fire. Moving into fire. Fire's in an odd place right now. There are parts of this I really enjoyed, and then there's parts of it that I'm, like, just kind of scratching my head over. I think, comedy-wise, I think this is some of the best comedy stuff we've had in a while. Like, I really yeah. like the comedy stuff. I mean, you can never go wrong with Mouch and Trudy. And then, like, throw a little subride in there, like, it's great. But there's some things that I'm just, like, I, I, I'm just scratching my head. Like, I don't hate it necessarily, but I'm just kind of like, why? So I said last week that PD is a little lost at the moment. I think Fire's a little lost, too. Fire's definitely lost. And, like... I don't know. I'll be curious to see what happens next week and where we stand. And I, you know, especially given that we know that this was Taylor's last episode and that obviously I'm sure a lot of things had, which we'll talk about, like I'm sure a lot of things had to change because of this now absence. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm trying to practice a little grace with the writing for -hmm. these next, you know, especially these next few episodes, knowing that they probably had to rewrite a bunch of things. Um, but yeah, it's just, they're in a transition and this transition is really hard. It is. It's really hard. It is. Transitions are difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it happens. So, all right. We're going to start out with, uh, yeah, we're going to start with Carter and, or Carver, Carver and Stella. I'm getting my words all jumbled. So, Brenna, get, go ahead and get us started. Yeah. So Carver and Stella. So the episode kicks off. Carver is clearly hungover AF. He's like literally about to miss work and he's just like you know what fuck it and so he calls kylie and he's like i'm sick i'm not coming to work today so stella is pissed when she finds out and she of course didn't have time to put in her quest so that means they get the bottom of the barrel when it comes to floaters and we are reunited with munsell this guy yeah but also like who no you we i don't think anybody has ever called in sick in 10 years of this show very rarely Mm -mm. very rarely um, but Munzel sucks. I mean, he's like only called three calls a week because he like the idea is he wants to eventually get transferred out to O'Hare, which is like, yeah. And he's like only three calls a week. Who wouldn't want that? And it's like literally everyone at 50, said no one else at fifty one ever. Yeah. No, no. So later on in shift, like Stella is trying to call Carver and like it's his voicemail, and of course then he doesn't ever call. He she basically is like I just want to make sure you're okay. Like call me back. Like you better not be dead. And he does. she doesn't hear back. So she goes to check on him after shift. And she sees that he's not okay, but she is more pissed off than before. And we get this. Wow. 
What are you doing here? I came to check on you. And clearly you're not okay. I'm good. I, I just... You know you left me high and dry. No notice. No call. No text. I was sick. I told Kylie. Do not lie to me. You are not sick. I know the visit from your brother was rough. But this isn't the way to handle it. I have given you as much slack as I can. But Carver, I am out of rope. If I can't trust you, I can't work with you. It's that simple. You either show up next shift, ready to be straight with me, or you are done at 51. I mean, okay. she's not wrong. Like, I think, I think there is, you know, in a lot of jobs, like, you don't have to be best friends with your coworkers. Obviously, you have to get along with them, but you don't have to be best friends. But firefighting is such a different job that, like, you don't have to tell Stella your whole life story, but you can't just, like, lie to her either. Because if you keep lying to her, then she's not going to be able to trust you. And trust is such a big part of firefighting. Right. Because, so. I mean, we we saw a similar thing happen with Casey and Gallo, right? Because they're, you know, they were in that captain-candidate relationship that Casey basically was like, you have to tell me what happened with your parents. Like, you have to tell me uh, in order for us to trust each other and work together. Yeah. So it, it's a similar situation. But I did see some tweets that people were like, dude, your boss should never show up at your house. Like, that is crossing a line. It's different. Like, I agree. Like, if out in in a normal circumstance, well, first of all, it's his TV show, but mm -hmm. second of all, like I agree, in a normal circumstance, yeah, your boss shouldn't just be like calling it, like coming, stopping by your house to check in on you on a sick day. But this is like different, like it's different. Yeah, like she just shouldn't be like, oh, is Carver lying to me? Because I don't think he's sick. Like I'm gonna go check on him and like try to catch him in his lie. Like that's not what it's about. Like. I think she was doing it partly as her boss, like, partly as a boss, but also because, like, I think in these last couple of episodes, she's grown to consider Carver a friend. And, like, she more, like, she cares about him, yes, as a, you know, as her, her you know, as his boss, but, like, also as a friend. And, like, I think she also wants to just check in on him as a friend. I, I guess. I guess. I just, I don't know. I mean... I feel like he's had so many chances that this one, I was just like, at what point do you just say enough is enough? Well, I think that was, I mean, this was it. It was like, you either shit or, as my dad says, you see their shit or get off the pot. Like, mm -hmm. this is it. Like, this is your last chance. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Carver shows, you know, she like she said, she's basically like, you either show up next shift or you're done. So he shows up next shift and he seems to be in a better mood. Like, you know, gallo's glad to see him like you know it's, it seems like it's good and so later on he tells stella that he really appreciated her coming by his place for what it's worth you would have had every right to drop me on the spot so thank you for this chance and i know earning your trust back is gonna mean more than showing up on time and working my ass off i am ready to do whatever it takes I want to be here. 
कर But I do want to say, Lieutenant, all all due respect. You know about my past and my family. I've been more honest with you than almost anyone else in my life. I hope that counts for something. It does. That's why you're still here. But honesty is not a one-time thing. Like I said, it's the only way to work together moving forward. Absolutely. I'm getting I'm getting vibes like he's trying way too hard. Like it seemed like a switch flip that like he went from being like rock bottom super hungover to now he's like putting on on an act. Well because he I think he yeah, I think he has to. Because he like knows a, because the thing is is like he knows that if he doesn't try and you know that he's going to get kicked off. And he feels like he's going to lose, like, even though he hasn't admitted to it, you know, mm-hmm. he's, like, kind of admitting to it now a little bit. But, like, you know, he really does want to be at 51. He hasn't come out and said that yet. That's at the end. But, like, he wants to be at 51. And so he doesn't want to jeopardize that. And Stella basically said, like, you either, it's now or never, dude. Like, you either try or you, you're out. And so, yeah, I think he's maybe trying a little too hard, but it's because he cares and he wants to be at 51. See, and I'm getting the feeling that, like, he he's... he's Trying to like, impress Stella? Well, not even trying to impress Stella, that he's, like, he's faking the, like, the happiness, almost. That he's just, like, you know, he's all smiling, being happy to be back. I got the... I felt like he was faking that. And it was just, like, a, it was just, like, a, a bit. He was just kind of, like, I'm thrilled! And it was, like, a totally fake smile. See, I now, pick up on that. I picked up on the trying too hard because... If he doesn't, then he knows he's screwed. Right. But I feel like he's not actually happy to be there. Does he want to be part of 51? Absolutely. I think he does. But I feel like he's, like, not genuinely happy to be there. But why? Like, I guess my question is, like, if you think that he definitely wants to be at 51, but he's not happy to be there, like, why? Is it because of, like, potential Stella feelings? Like, is that why? Like, is that complicating it? Or, like, like, why... If he wants to be there so badly, then, like, why is he not happy to be there? Maybe it's twofold. Maybe it's the Stella thing. And also, I mean, he's got some stuff going on upstairs. I mean, that stuff with his brother really rattled him. And it sounds like it sounds like there's a lot of deep-seated, unresolved trauma in that in his head. Yeah. But, never. And it's basically just, like, he, so this, you know, he says, he's like, you know, I'm I'm being as honest with you I can. Like, I've told you more than I've ever told basically anyone. And she's like, I recognize that, but like we, you know, you can't just you can't just be honest with me once and expect everything to be okay. Yeah. Um, which is true. Um so they get called out to a little kid who gets his hands stuck in a snowblower. Again, all the severed body parts tonight. Severed limbs everywhere. Well it's really just severed hands. Like cause this the kid loses some fingers. The guy lost his hand. So like, yeah. You get a severed finger. You get a severed finger. You get a severed finger. Like I said, nothing really goes bad because, like, the kids gets out. They're going to save his hand and fingers. And, like, while they're doing this, Carver actually talks Gallo through, like, Gallo's responsible for, like, cutting the thing to ultimately free the kid's hand. And, like, Carver talks him through it, like, gives him a little pep talk, like, you got this or whatever. And, you know, it all works out. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. 
And so this episode ends, well, part of it, this storyline ends, I guess, by Carver coming by Molly's and, you know, Stella serving him behind the bar. And yeah. I appreciate the way you had Gallo's back on that call. It meant a lot. I could tell. You do the same for me. Any of you guys would. I said some things a couple of shifts ago about not wanting to get too close to the 51 gang. That I thought it was suffocating. Oh, I remember. It wasn't true. And I am sorry I said it. I want to be at 51. I need this family. I guess okay so I was trying to get to this when I was talking about this earlier but like without having gotten here yet so what even with Carver saying all of this stuff to Stella and him and Stella having this conversation do you still feel like he really just is kind of like putting on an act and like he really doesn't want to be there or was that more like earlier in the episode might have been maybe it was just I guess like I'm just curious like do people think that Carver really is feeling authentic after this conversation? Do people think that Carver feels authentic in his want to be at 51? I think he does really truly want to be at 51, but I also think that he is his own worst enemy. That he's sabotaging it himself? Yeah. I think it'll be, so I really, I think the thing that sold it for me that when he's like, you know, I want to be at 51, but he's like, I need this family. Mm -hmm. And I think realizing that he almost put it in jeopardy, I think really brought that to the forefront of how much he does need them because he doesn't have anyone else as we were just reminded of last week of all the stuff with his brother. But I guess what I'm more curious about with the Carver journey is like where it goes from here. Like, right. Well, because you've got two different things going on. You've got Carver needing to prove to himself to 51 and that he really wants to be there. But then you also have all this weird potential Stella stuff that, like, they kind of, like, just kind of dropped off by the wayside this episode a little bit. And it's like, okay. Yeah. I love how they're like, nothing to see here. Don't even worry about it. Nothing, nothing to worry about. Well, but next week is that episode where the episode description says, well, it's next week's the Seeger, Carver, and Stella stuff. Yeah. And then obviously the that Matson's that line thing said, you know, with Carver's love life, it's like, oh, you know, I don't remember the exact, but it's basically probably going to be Seeger. So, like, I don't know. I'd just be curious to see how this all plays out. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. After last week and, and, you know, the shit that Carver pulled, I would not have been mad if, like, that was his, like, sunset and he was just like you know what 51's not for me I'm gonna move on I wouldn't have been mad um but he is sticking around so you know we'll 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 see we'll see maybe Carver and Seeger will be the cutest duo ever I don't know I wouldn't hate that fine with me we need something to get us excited we need something happy to hold on to with with fire we need something yeah um I don't know. Like I said, I guess I'm just more interested in seeing where it goes from here. Yeah. Like I thought this was fine. It's a good first step, but it it's all that's all it is. It's the first step. Right. Um. 
and like it's a first step in realizing that like he doesn't he can't go back and start all over again like this Mm -hmm. is literally his last chance Mm -hmm. so i'll be curious to see what he does with it yeah um how much he leans into the real 51 family stuff you know all that stuff yeah um so i think that'll say a lot about carver and who he actually is um so um, we did get listener thoughts. Um, Heather B said, as much as I think Stella as a boss might have overstepped here by showing up at his house, we know that is her style and it was the kick in the ass Carver needed. I like the ending at the bar when it's obvious her threat to kick him out of the family he claims he doesn't want finally broke through to him. I hope we get a little more and this isn't the end because it doesn't feel quite finished. But it was worth all of that to wait and see him all of that weight to see him in a place where he doesn't trust anybody to a place where he realizes he can trust his newfound family to have his back. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good, it doesn't feel quite finished. So I think it's a good first step, but I think it'll really depend on what they do from it with him and his journey from here. Right. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I'm still, I'm still kind of bored with him, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So Cindy and Herman next up. So um, I, I think this is all the Cindy we have ever wanted, but like, not like this, like, I know. That part's really hard to swallow. It is really hard to swallow. There was that question in the mailbag of like, if you could have any one Chicago spinoff, what would it be? A family sitcom with the Hermans. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a modern family style sitcom. I Now I'm just imagining it. Herman's yeah, that house. would be good. That would be good. Done. Herman's house. Yeah just that can somebody write that au fic can somebody like write a one shot <laughs> like yeah. that'd be great oh goodness okay so cindy had her first chemotherapy session and it's like eight in the morning um herman is babying her cindy's like i did not have knee surgery i can walk leave me alone uh and herman's like i'm going to work do you need anything and she's like a margarita margarita mood. cindy is such a mood 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 yeah, and Herman's like, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. She's like, I have cancer. I can do whatever I want. I love her. Yeah, Cindy. Great. So she's like, just remember, like, you know, don't forget to get me what I want. And he's like, no, I, I don't worry. I'll get it from the firehouse. I'll get you everything you want. Don't even worry about it. So throughout the episode, Herman keeps, like, he's he's actually invested in everybody's lives. Like, he wants to know what the gossip is. He wants to know what's going on. Um, he's getting all of the tea. He just even says, he's like, I have to be in tune with the whole house. Like, I'm a lieutenant. I have to be in tune. Uh, And so everybody kind of starts to notice it. And Violet's like, dude, is it me? Or has Herman been, like, a lot more talkative lately? And so Mouch kind of explains it in the way that only Mouch can. Mouch is just like, you spring chickens won't understand this for a while. But when a man of our vintage faces hard times... (laughs) Um, he remembers that life is really about family and the people around you. And he's just trying to invest in your lives. Like show it and show he cares, like let him in. It's so, so funny because it's like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's also not true. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, the whole like remembering family is important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, but like, it's like, that's not why he's asking the questions. Yeah. He so, doesn't care. So Herman goes home after his shift. And the thing that Cindy wanted was the gossip and the tea from the firehouse. I love it so much. It's so sweet. That's exactly what she asked for. And so she's like, yeah, give it to me. And he's like, so 
Violet kiss Gallo. And then like this Dylan thing is happening again. And she's just like, Ooh, Oh my goodness. She's so my favorite is her comment about Violet and Gallo. She's like the two of them again, like sounds like trouble. And it's like, yeah, uh that's all she wanted. She wanted the tea. It's so cute. Protect Cindy at all costs, please. But actually though, but actually though, I love her so much. So, um, yeah, we had a listener thought on this one. So Heather B said, um, Herman holding back his tears after putting on a brave face for Cindy and gathering gossip for her was everything. And and it's true. When once he brought her home and he left to go to shift, he turned around and like his face was just like yeah. he was definitely holding back tears. So yeah, she said, Somebody help, my heart's on the floor in pieces. I don't know how much more of this storyline I can take because I just know it's going to end badly, but we're getting some really good moments out of it. That is one thing that I can say as a positive for all of these grief storylines. Fully intended shade thrown here. But the grief storylines are really well-written and believable and heartbreaking for all of the right reasons. I hate that I love them as much as I do, but I've really enjoyed them even if I never wanted them. Agree. That, that is not how all of the fans feel. If anybody is listening, don't be like, mm, wahaha, more heartbreak. No. Yeah, no, I definitely don't want more heartbreak, but I do agree with her that, like, if you're looking for the positive in all the grief storylines is that I do think they have told them well. I don't like that we've gotten a bunch of them, but I do think they've done a good job with what they have, you know, the fact that we're getting them. Yeah. That's fair. So, but I do also, we still need some happiness in our lives. Agree. Agree. A thousand Please. percent. I don't want more of them, no. but no. I do agree that, like, with what they've done, they've done it well. I feel like after this, after this season, like, we've earned ourselves, like, multiple seasons worth of no grief. Well... That's not going to happen, but... But haven't we suffered enough? What, Chicago fans? Yes. I know. Shy hard problems. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah. Ritter got some good stuff this week. He did. I was glad to see Ritter get a storyline. Look what Ritter with the screen time. Yes, please. Brenna, take it away. So, Engine gets called out to this, like, automatic alarm. They go in and check um, things, and Ritter thinks he sees a victim. Turns out, it was just a ballerina sculpture. There was no actual victim. Um, But so, it's not, like, a huge fire or anything, so they get it out, and, you know, they go check the rest of the building, and all of a sudden, Ritter goes, like, in the back, and he sees the, he will first be, hears two people, and they he like opens the closet door and they're just standing there, obviously getting mm-hmm. dressed because you know we know what they all just did. Um, Explain it to me, Brian. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> when two people are in a closet, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. And Ritter is like, I think I know, like talking to the guy because the girl, like, they're so also so dumb. They're like. Ritter's like, you didn't know, like, you didn't hear the explosion, and they're like, we thought it was next door, and it's like, okay. So you thought it was outside, and therefore hid inside the closet. Yeah. Anyway. That doesn't make any sense. So, but anyway, so she runs off after her sculptures, and Ritter's like, don't I know you to the guy? And the guy's like, just, you know, plays it off or whatever. And Ritter's like, well, really, you know, like, we need to get you checked out, you know, with all the chemicals and the stuff in the air. And Ritter, and the guy's like, no. And Ritter's like, okay, well, I just need you to sign a release. And he's like, yeah, no. And he's basically like, if you say anything about, 
me being here. He's like, I will, you know, end your life, basically. And Ritter's like, I don't even know your name. Like, I know I think I recognize you, but, like, I don't even know who you are. Like, mm-hmm. okay. That and so, quickly. Yeah. He gets back to 51 and tells Gallo about it. And Gallo's like, oh, well, what did Herman say? And Ritter's like, well, I didn't tell him. And Ritter's like, like, why should I drag people's personal drama in the way? Because, like, literally, Ritter doesn't care. He doesn't because care. You, but also because you found them in a closet, in a compromising position, and then the guy threatened you. Yeah. But he literally just doesn't care. He's like, I, yeah, no. I'm not gonna, well, I'm not making this a bigger thing than it should be. So, Ritter, though, figures out where he knows the guy from because he's in the hallway and he sees the photo of the guy from the call earlier, like, on the wall. And his turns out his name is Dom Ramsey. He is a, used to be a big wig at CFD, um, but he left to go be the city treasurer. So, he's a local politician. Totally trustworthy human being. Yeah. And, like, Ritter and Gallo Google him, and so they pull up his, like, campaign website or whatever, and they, like, see a picture of him with his family, and Gallo's just like, so I'm assuming that was not the woman with him. And Ritter's like, uh, no. No, no, no. But Ritter still believes he's, like, at the end of, because Gallo's like, oh, well, basically you found, like, your next big political scoop. And Ritter's like, yeah, no. He's like, I still just believe that, like, as much as the guy probably sucks, like his personal business is his personal business. And so Ritter's like, yeah, keep it quiet. And Gal's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. Dude. So later on, Herman's working on his report and asks Ritter about the guy he was talking to. And Ritter's like, uh, well, I didn't get his name and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Herman's like, okay, well, it's probably not a big deal. Like that accident scene wasn't a big scene. So like, it's going to be fine. Like, okay, whatever. And so, but next shift, Ritter gets a text from a random number telling him to come outside right now. And he does. And it's none other than Don Ramsey. How do you have my phone number? I thought we had an understanding, Darren. What are you playing at? What? You were supposed to keep your mouth shut. So how is it your lieutenant mentioned me in his incident report? Unidentified adult male was present but fled the scene. Yeah, unidentified. I never gave your name. So what's your angle? My angle? Yeah, what are you after? You think you got some kind of leverage now? You're gonna show the report to the newspapers? To my wife? Look, man, whatever happened in that back room, I don't care. Nothing happened. Again, I don't care. You know what I do for a living. You know what kind of reach I've got. Anyone ever finds out that I was the unidentified man, I will ruin you. You, your lieutenant, and this whole firehouse. Do you understand? Okay, what What the hell? Like, yeah, Ritter this is where said, it gets, like, care. fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Ritter's like, I don't know what else to do to tell you. Like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But Don does not believe him and just keeps making all the more threats. But also, how did Don get his phone number? I really need to know that. Like, I know Ritter asked him, but, like, I really need an answer because that's creepy. It's really creepy. And it's really... The thing, the fact that, like, politicians would go so far just, you know using their resources for something so petty and like just because you don't want your reputation to get ruined is you know but it's also making things so much worse because when the story eventually does hit the mainstream which it will like you just made it so much worse by trying to cover it up yeah yeah so 
Gallo sees Ritter come back inside and like goes in to check on him. And he tells Gallo everything. And he's like, you know what? I've got to come clean to Herman. He's like, if Herman ends up in the crosshairs, like he deserves to know why. Yeah. So he tries to go tell Herman, but he's on the phone and Ritter doesn't want to bother him. So he's like, you know what, Gallo? He's like, I'm just going to go handle this myself. So Ritter goes to see Dom Ramsey himself at his office. And yeah. What are you doing? This is where I work. Yeah, and the firehouse is where I live. Those people are my family. You threatened my family. Okay, just take it down. Get this through your head. I do not care what happens in your private life. I'm all about minding my own business. But you're gonna mind yours too. You got that? Forget you ever met me. Because you make trouble for my lieutenant or my firehouse. I don't care if you're the president. I'll come for you. Say you understand. I understand. Ritter making threats. He takes it into his own hands, that's for sure. Ooh, boy. I mean, I just loved seeing Ritter stand up for, you know, his 51 family. And he's like, you know, and Herman especially. And he's like, you know what? Like, yeah. Yeah, if you want to mess with me, okay, whatever. That's one thing. But like, you don't, once you get into like threatening my family, uh, that's where I draw the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really liked Ritter's storyline this week. I think I liked it even more because as much as I want to see Ritter in a ship, like, you know, I feel like that's all they've ever done. Like, when we get Ritter storylines, they're always around, like, the fact that he's, you know, a Black gay man, you know, out mm-hmm. in the dating world. And, like, I liked seeing him have something that wasn't all about that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, Heather B. did have a thought. She said, Ritter's storyline kind of bothered me. I'm glad they actually gave him a storyline, but it was so cliche and I was cringing the whole time. I kept thinking that it was going to get worse and it was really just... It was just really predictable threats the whole time. David S. Lee, the guy who played Don Ramsey, was Moriarty on season two of The Librarians, and he plays an excellent villain. I just, I felt like he was just completely wasted here with generic lines. I love Ritter standing up for Herman, but the story itself fell flat. Interesting. I'm intrigued. I'm like, wait a second. We don't usually get Ritter stories. I want to see where this goes. Yeah, like I said, I was just glad it was something that wasn't even just like, like I said, usually his storylines are all about his love life. Right. Um. So I was just glad it wasn't, you know, all about his love life. Although I do want more of his love life. Because, like, yeah, even at I, one point, Violet's like, oh, like, how the Tinder date go or whatever. And I was like, yeah, no, give me more of that. I was like, I want that gossip. Like, right. I felt like I was at the table. I was like, what Tinder date? I want to know. Yeah, I was like, spill all the tea, please. Yeah, like, tell me. I want to know these things. How did it go? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, just, I wonder where that's going to go. It was, it was nice to see Ritter stand up for himself it was good but also like let's just not make this the only Ritter storyline for the next like it shouldn't be until season 12 that like we get another Ritter storyline right exactly exactly yeah so next up we've got and I'm not even happy that these two are paired back together but it's Violet Munsell and Gallo the fact that I just had to say their names (laughs) in the same sentence I'm not thrilled not thrilled yeah 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 all right so Munsell gets to 51 and he immediately starts hitting on Violet in the kitchen I don't I don't remember him having a thing for her I don't know if he had a thing for her in the beginning because he's only been in one other episode but like yeah and she was 
not with Hawkins at the time, but not also Hawkins was still alive. So that that was still kind of a thing. Remember those days when everybody was happy and healthy and accounted for? Yeah. We were so young, so innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Munsell starts hitting on Violet immediately. And uh, it, it was it's like something about what food she likes. And so she's like, wow, you have a good memory. And he's like, well, when it comes to you, Violet, I have a brain like an elephant. I could never forget. She gets out of there so fast. Oh my God. So bad. So bad. So it only gets worse. It only gets worse. So later on, Munsell asks Violet out because he cannot pick up on like the vibes. Yeah. So he's like, so do you like going on walks? And she's like, yeah, I guess. And he basically asks her out to go on a walk in a, in a mall because it's like three dollars. It's three degrees out. And also because he's cheap AF. Because he even makes the comment. He's like, yeah, dinner and drinks are so expensive these days. He's like basically like because he's cheap. I mean, I can't imagine floaters make that much. Yeah. But like, wow. Read the room, dude. Read the room. So cringy. So Violet shows up to Molly's after shift. Munsell stops her. Also, like, him just assuming that, like, hey, I'm at 51. I'm totally cool to go to Molly's now. So you have to earn that. You yeah. have to earn that. So he tries so hard to ask her out again. And she's just like, no, like, no, we're not doing that. So Gallo is, like, Gallo just steps up. And he's like, look, if he asks you again, you can just tell him that we're together. Like, he'll back off for sure. Which, like, all right, Gallo. I'm going to just... I'm going to go, go, go out on here. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say there was nothing like that was not romantically motivated. You were just helping out your friend. Like, yeah, I don't have a problem with that's not the problem I had with this story. Like, because I mean, he doesn't say like, oh, yeah, like, let's pretend we're together. Like, you know, like, 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 let's pretend we're in, like, he's just like, listen, if you ask again, you can make the comment. But like, that doesn't mean they're fake dating. So like, right. I, I have no problem with that. <sighs> okay. So Violet and Brett and Gallo, they're talking and Brett's disappointed that she like gave up the Dylan thing. She was just kind of like, man, like I kind of miss him. And so little Sylvie Brett went sliding into his DMs. Yeah. I know a lot of people had, did not like this because it felt like after last week with everyone, you know, Violet and Severide telling Brett basically that like she should lower her standards, that like now she's missing Dylan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how I feel like this Dylan thing. It's like, I didn't mind the guy, but like, I do like, you know, it's like, what are we doing? Like, is Dylan really going to come back in the picture? Well, he's in the promo photos for next week. He is. I did not miss see those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Violet and Brett go to one of his hockey games. Interesting. I miss those completely. Yep. Okay. Well, then I take that back. So I guess I'll be curious to see how much longer he sticks around. So our little Sylvie's growing up. I would never peg her for someone who would slide in the DMs. Yeah, but he also, it's not working out that great for her because he's ignoring her. So he's, yeah, he's doing a heck and ghost. Or maybe he just doesn't use Twitter. Well, Instagram. Maybe he's an Instagrammer. Uh, yeah. So Munsell comes walking back in and in a kind of like a Hail Mary move, Violet grabs Gallo and like makes out with him. But the thing is, Munsell doesn't even say anything. He literally just like, she sees him walking in and like, he's like making his way towards their table and Violet's just like, fuck it. And she just goes in for the kiss. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously like they separate and Brett's like, the fuck was that? 
And it's like, it was just a thing, just a thing. I would not have had a problem with this story if they hadn't, if, if it hadn't been in the promo for next week of like them circling each other again. Okay, look, Evan Hawkins has barely been dead for like four months. His body's not even cold. They probably haven't even finished cleaning up the rubble from the Pickwick Theater. And wow. they're already trying to shove Violet and Gallo back down our throats. Yeah, okay, so a couple things. One, I think the thing, my issue with this too, is that, like, Violet, I don't know what Violet was thinking, because, like, Gallo just said, hey, if you want to pretend like I'm your boyfriend, like, if Munzel asks you out again, like, I have no problem with it, like, say it, sure. But, like, Munzel literally didn't even say anything, and Violet just goes straight in for the kiss. And then, like, when Munzel does come over here, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm saying goodbye. Like, you know, I'm going to O'Hare, like... You know, it really wasn't anything. So Violet just did it. I I don't know why Violet just did it. I'm really hoping that the promo's a fake out. Uh, it may be partially a fake out. But so I guess my co- thing is, is like, I get that Violet at some point is going to have to move on. Like, I get it. Like, that's just the position we're in. That Like, at some point she is going to ha- move on. She is going to have another shift. Like, I, I, like, I can accept those things. I guess it just seems very out of the blue. Like, even the Gallo stuff, like, I think we all know at some point that they're going to push Violet and Gallo back together. Right? No! But, like, okay, you accept that it's going to happen. You may not like it, but you know that it's going to happen. Yeah. So I guess my thing is, this just seems so out of the blue. So, like, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, we kissed because Munsell was hitting on me. And then next week, Violet looks like she's, like, panicked over, you know, the fact that Gallo, you know, Something's going to happen to Gallo in a very similar way that it happened to Evan. And it's just like, I get that, that, I, I don't know. I just, yeah. Not like, like, it's just a lot of stuff I don't want. Yeah. It's hard. If I have to choose between single Violet and Valo, like right now I will choose single Violet. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think she needs to be in another relationship right now. No. Um, maybe someone just to date to, like, have some fun with, but, like, not, like, a serious, like, relationship. No. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. It's, yeah. I feel like even if Violet might be done grieving Evan, which she's probably not, the there there are some fans who are not done grieving Evan me being one of them so maybe that's why I'm just not ready I'm not ready for her to move on yet well here's the thing I think one you never stop grieving that person so like she's Mm -hmm. like it's always gonna be there with her yeah I think the thing is she just has to figure like you know I think moving on is a weird term. I think moving forward is a better term. Like, you have to, mm-hmm. like, she has to slowly start getting back out there because, you know, yeah. she's not going to just keep wall. You can't let yourself wallow in the grief for forever. The grief mm-hmm. is always with you, but you can't let yourself wallow in it. So she does have to start moving forward with her life. That's what I'm saying. Like, if she has, like, goes on some dates, like, nobody has a problem with that. But, like, it's just the idea of, like, if they're going to start the Gallo and Violet ship already again, then I do think it is a little annoying that they haven't let people finish grieving Hawkins and even Violet finish 
you know, really wallow in, in her grief before they've like, oh yeah, Violet and Gallo. Like we all accept that Violet, we may not like it, but we all know that Violet and Gallo are going to happen again. Yeah. I just don't think it should be this season. I think it should be next season. I just think that she, she has grown as a person to the point that like they, they don't, they just don't work anymore in my book. I feel like she's grown too much, yeah. but I mean, my opinion could very well change. Yeah. And I mean that it may well be, I just, like I said, I just don't think we need to be starting Violet and Gallo like right now. Right. Like let that be a next season problem. Mm-hmm. And I'll be, like I said, I think I'll be most, well, I'll save it for in the next section. Cause it really goes with like the Taylor stuff. So I'll save it for the next section. Yeah. So um, Heather said, if you have to use a creepy floater to push a couple together, probably some kind of sign the ship shouldn't happen. Valo's extinct. Violet doesn't need to move on and settle any more than Sylvie does. I don't need her to question her feelings because a barn falls on Gallo. <laughs> we all know Carver and Stella are going to go back in and dig them out anyway. Just no. Also, as creepy and pushy as the floater was, I'm surprised it wasn't Violet who showed up at Carver's to drag him back to work just to get rid of him. That guy needs to stay at O'Hare forever, and Valo does not need to happen. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, so. I definitely think the Gallo... I think part of the Gallo thing, like, is true, but I think part of it is going to be a fake out, too. Like, Gallo's not dying next week. No. God, no. So... Well, and it goes back to the bit. Every time Gallo almost dies, like Violet, Violet even said, she's like, I don't like it when you almost die. And then she's like nice to him for the next like 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I think, I think the thing is too, is like, even with the Gallo stuff, like Violet and Gallo are close friends. Like there is no denying they have a close relationship. So like, yeah, if she sees that Gallo is, you know, stuck under a pile of rubble, she's going to be emotional about it. Because yeah. that is her friend. That is one of her yep. best friends. But like, we don't, doesn't mean you have to turn every little thing and be like, oh my God, Violet is good. You know, like she saw Gallo get hurt. And like, you know, that made her realize that she still has feelings for Gallo. Like, we don't need that. She can have an emotional conversation with Gallo after he got hurt and not have it be romantic. Right. You know. Right. So, Yeah. Um, so last up, we have Trudy, Mouch, and Severide. I love this. I thought this was great. Yeah, this was great. This was really great. I really enjoyed this. This was like the first comedy storyline in a while that I really, really liked. It was, yeah, it was really good. And I, I loved how, like, how hard Mouch was trying and how Severide was like, all right, I'm going to help you out, but like give you all the credit. Yeah, it's really yeah. fun. Um, so Trudy comes by 51 and also like we got a lot of Trudy in last night's fire episode mm-hmm. and like I just really love how we've had a lot of Trudy I mean on PD2 this season I feel like we've seen a lot more of her this year than we have in other seasons um, that aren't the early seasons obviously but like in you know I feel like in these last couple of seasons she's not been around as much but this year I feel like she's been around a lot more yeah um, thank goodness but- I love Trudy Yes, it was nice to have like a double dose of her on fire and Mm -hmm. in PD. Um, But yeah, so Trudy comes by and she's looking for Severide, but he's out on a call. So Mouch is like, well, what can I help you with? Mm -hmm. And basically one of her friends, someone's been setting small fires at her friend's apartment building and they want to handle the issue internally and kind of like get on it. But OFI is so backed up that she's like, I, Severide's good at this shit. Like I want him to investigate. 
And Match is like, uh, no, I I think I should run point. And he's like, if you saw me solve the last, you know, the mystery of the broken couch last year, he's like, let's just say there would be no hesitation. <laughs> I love that callback because that is one of my favorite comedy storylines. I love good. that storyline so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and Trudy's like, okay, fine. Like, you know, go at, have at it. So Match goes by the apartment building after shift and he's like trying to take samples, like trying to talk to the residents. He like tries to put up a camera and like he just like keeps getting shut down and it is like not going as well as he'd hope it would. So Severi, like next shift, Severide finds Match like going over his evidence, you know, trying to figure it out. And, you know, Severide's just like, you you know, Trudy thinks you hung the moon. Like, you don't need to prove anything to her. And Matt is <laughs> like, I know, but, like, being married to Trudy is like chasing a moving train. Like, you want to hitch a ride? You've got to ha- keep, you know, run like hell to keep up. He's like, there's no getting complacent with a woman like that. And Severide's just like, I know, I think I know what you mean. <laughs> um, and then Severide's like, okay, I'll help you solve it. Like, let's go. And, like, He's like, let's see what you got. And all Mouch has is a list of residents. And he's like, suspicious, suspicious, suspicious. <laughs> like, and they're all suspicious. So funny. So Match gets a call from Trudy. And he's like, and she's like, yeah, basically, they're having a town hall tomorrow at, you know, 11. And they're like, yeah, we want the case wrapped up by then. So it cuts to the meeting. And turns out Mouch and Severide, but Mouch has solved the case. It turned out it to just be a tenant who was burning these flyers because she thinks there's too many flyers up in the building. And she would li- light them on fire and, like, drop them down her air conditioning vent. So that's how they were traveling through all the different floors. <laughs> um, And so then the episode ends, and I did this, it's kind of a weird, it maybe should have gone with Estelle and Carver stuff, but basically the episode ends... And, like, after the Carver and Stella scene at the bar, Stella comes over to Severide, and she's like, I got your message about Van Meter. What's up? And he, like, shows her his phone, and Stella's like, well, what are you going to do? And then it fades to black. Okay, so... So, okay, well, first of all, I want to go back to the scene when Mouch solves the arson, because it is hilarious when Trudy goes up to him and is like, you're taking me home right now. Yes, <laughs> the fact that she thinks that's, like, the sexiest thing ever. Oh it's God. really cute. So funny. But also, okay. Is Van Meter dead? I don't know. But like, if Van Meter, okay, if Van Meter is realistically dead, is the question then like, oh yeah, so you need to go like to OFI? Like go work at OFI? Like is that, is that what we're doing? He's got to go to OFI for some reason. I guess I'll be curious to see, too, like, what comment Seeger makes when she shows up next week. Because, like, I guess, like, I could see it being, like, oh, well, Seeger, you know, Severite, you know, they get some kind of arson, obviously, that, you know, Sella and Carver are working on. And Seeger comes by, and Seeger's like, oh, well, Severite told me about this thing. Like, I thought I could maybe help you guys or whatever. He's so backlogged that he can't help you right now. Um, I hope for Van Meter's sake that Van Meter's not dead. I know. I know. Like, I always like when he pops up. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, hey, my meter. Like, okay. It wouldn't be so urgent that, like, if if, if Philippi was just backlogged, it wouldn't be so urgent that it, we would get that scene of just, like, what are you going to do? No, I just, I mean, like, if, oh, if, like, if he had to go take over Van Meter's position and then he's, like, just kind of thrown into the fire and he's, like, in over his head. So, like, did Van Meter get fired? Did he quit? Did he have emergency surgery? 
It's really weird. I'm not mad at this being his exit, though. This is this is good. No, I think a lot of people I've seen on the internet have brought up the point that, like, if he's at OFI, at least he's still with Stella. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're not working together, but, like, he's still at home in the loft, like, you know, every night. Yeah. So. Yeah. I also did, the internet caught this. I didn't catch this, but they apparently, like, reverse engineered this scene, this last yeah. scene together. Um, I didn't catch this, but basically they took old footage of Kelly from, like, an old episode, and they basically, eleven like, seven. damn, that's impressive that, like, people caught this. Yeah, and they spliced it in to basically make it look like Taylor was in the scene. Um, and then if you notice it, I mean, basically Miranda's acting with a stand-in. Yeah. So, uh, and that's why, like, Kelly doesn't say anything. He just hands her the phone. Yeah. So um, they they got creative, which, like, that's impressive. It's impressive what they did, and it's impressive that fans caught that. Yeah, it really is, because I definitely would not have caught that. I did think it was a little weird, like, that she didn't say, like, like, there was no answer to the Van Meter question. It was just mm-hmm. like, oh, I got your text about me. You know, like, I did think that was a little weird, but that was as far as I got. And then it was like, as soon as the episode was over, people were, like, blowing us up on Twitter being like, did you catch that? Did you catch the splicing? I was like, holy shit. No, I did not. Like, I know. Was I was so really fast. impressed. Yeah, yeah, it did. It happened really fast. So, so we have now entered the era of Taylor Kinney's absence. Yeah, I we're in it now. We are in it. I obviously I want whatever is best for him. So like, it, you know, that is my first part, you know, priority. Mm-hmm. But like getting into the actual show, I guess I'm just really curious on like how they're going to navigate it. Because if it was so fast, like his exit and so unexpected that like they literally had to have Miranda act opposite us, you know, a stand in mm-hmm. to like get him out of there. I just, I'd be curious to see how this goes and, like, what's affected and, like, how much they had to rewrite. And that's even, like, what I'm thinking about with, like, the Violet and Gallo stuff. Like, how much of that was added in and whatever's going to happen in these next couple episodes, like, with them because Severide's not there anymore. Like, I mean, a lot of this back half is probably going to be a result of Taylor leaving. Yeah, and rewritten. Yep. Because it's not, like you just rewrite the Stella stuff you have to then add more things for other people to do to fill the void of no Taylor right so like that stuff then all gets affected too and it's just yeah we have we are entering some crazy uncharted territory we have never seen Chicago Fire without Kelly Severide nope not a single episode we're we're about to next week because even in like the bottle episodes you still see him like I even like you know I'm thinking about the one with uh Joe and um Herman. Herman in the elevator. Like, you still see, like, you see Severide and you see Casey, but, like, that's it. Mm-hmm. For, like, two seconds, but you still see them. So even in the episodes yep. where they're not really there, they're still there. He's always so, been there. Uncharted territory that we're getting into. Yeah. Grace is the name of the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've all, I think, had our own feelings about this season of Fire, good or bad. I think everyone has their own opinion, obviously. But like you said, this is such uncharted territory that, like, I definitely think even if it's not perfect, like, Grace is the name of the game, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard to, I, I can't even imagine how hard that was to, like, adjust on the fly. 
so hard. That had to have been awful. So, yeah, I mean, and, and sometimes we may need reminders of it. I was coming down on fire pretty hard last week, and then I was like, wait a second. No, I needed that reminder. Grace, Grace. No. This is very unprecedented times. And the thing is, it's not like, you know, they don't know. Like, they, I mean, they may know a little bit. I'm sure they know more than we do, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't know of how much more they know. Like, you know. How much did they have to rewrite? Like how far I'm what I'm curious and I'll be curious to see if Derek and Andrea tell us this when they come on in the spring is like when they found out whenever they found out that like Taylor was going to be leaving, like how far ahead were they on episode scripts Mm -hmm. and like how so like how much did they actually have to rewrite? Because like obviously you're already kind of heading in a direction, starting to head in towards a direction for the finale, but like you're not quite there yet. So like that could be changed pretty easily. But like, were you four episodes ahead? Were you three? Like how far ahead were they written? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be curious to know. Yeah, yeah. It's just like how at any of a any of our job, you know, something goes awry and you've got to adjust on the fly, and it's a giant pain in the ass, but you do the best you can. No, yep. exactly what it is. Yep. So we'll see. We will see. So like buckle up. It's gonna be interesting in a couple of weeks. So yep. yeah. Um yeah. Um so we did have a few listener thoughts. Um Genevieve's thought is pointing out the thing about, you know, Severide, you know, being a stand-in in that last episode. She says um, a small thing I noticed in this week's episode was that Stellaride's ending scene looked very similar to 11-7, um, scene where they're talking about Macy's mom. So similar, in fact, I had to go back and rewatch just to make sure I wasn't seeing Devil. Um, if the exact same map fits for both Stella and, Stella and Kelly didn't convince me, then the identical background actors really solidified it. I think they used a stand-in for Kelly when the camera is facing Stella and just used the extra footage from 11.7 for Severide's close-ups. This wasn't, this was easy to accomplish if Severide doesn't really speak in the scene. I can't believe the eye our listeners have. Yeah, it's crazy. I like to think that I usually catch a lot of things, but that I would never have caught. No, I would have caught that it something about that scene definitely kind of felt a little weird, but I don't think I would have caught that um, it was from 11-7 specifically. Right, right. So, yeah. Devonay said, I'm sad to see Kelly go, but I'm interested to see how they explain what the Van Meter news was. Did he die, step down, resign, get ousted, take a leave of absence? Based on Stella's reaction, it seems pretty intense and extreme. I'm glad I'm not the only one whose first question was, did he die? God, I hope not. I know, I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. Hope not too. Enough, enough dead characters this season. Enough people leaving. Yeah. He can go, he can be injured, but like, he doesn't, he doesn't need to leave. Not that badly injured. But no. like yes. But enough to keep Severide out for God knows how long. So like yes, yes at least like break some bones. <laughs> yes. Any other notes on fire? No. I'd be I, I'm more curious about next week than anything. Oh man. Oh man. It's PD time. Are we ready? I I actually am. So you guys just want to like paint this picture for you. So Tuesday night, the night before the show's air, like 11 o'clock at night, my time, midnight, Brian's time, we get a screener. I, I was, was dead like, asleep. 
Yeah, no, I figured. I figured. And I was like, I was about to go to sleep. And I was like, oh, I, I guess not. I guess not. Yeah, no, I was dead asleep. But I'm glad we got it. Um, so it was, you know, less stressful going into the episode. But I will say I was very impressed with this episode. I really, really enjoyed it. This is one of my favorite ones in a of the season for sure. Yeah, this was a great episode. Uh, and it was it was structured very differently from a normal episode, but I like it. I like what they did by stretching it out that it was just Berzik for the first like three acts of the show. Yeah. Because uh, it made the case so much easier to digest. Well, there was so much more like, yes, there was case, but there was personal first and then mm-hmm. case. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, there's some case. I mean, there's a lot of case and there's a little personal, but this was like, no, the personal came first. Mm-hmm. And it was like really interwoven well into the case. Um, I know a lot of people had an issue with this, not because it wasn't a good episode, but because of the fact that it was PD's 200th. And a lot of people were saying it didn't really feel like a 200th. And I understand that. I do because like, I was even thinking about like comparing it to Fire's 200th and like Fire's 200th, obviously that ending is sad. Like I still can't go back and watch that episode because no, but like mm-hmm. in some ways Fire's is still celebratory, even though it's sad. Um, And this is not that, but I don't think PD could have done something different without going completely, you know, doing a complete 180 and changing because like this is their formula now mm-hmm. like this is how they do their episodes and i think to do something different would have i mean obviously would have been to go against that formula and i don't think they were ever going to do that i agree it doesn't bother me that it was a kim episode and it wasn't an ensemble because pd doesn't like fanfare they don't like to make a big deal of something like that they like to just kind of carry on as normal and that goes back to as early as al's death because if you remember, Elias even insisted, he was like, no, I want this to be something where, like, the guy tells Hank in passing, because that's what, Al would not make a spectacle of it. Yeah, uh, and I think for me, I was just more glad that, like, obviously with PD's 100th, it was a crossover, which, like, that is not, no. But, like, this, mm-hmm. this is just, what I mean, this is what PD is. Like, it felt like it honored what they are yeah. these days. Yeah, And it, it just, it did a really good job of that. And so, like, I understand people wanting it to feel more ensemble, but PD just won't be that. Any- PD is not that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it just, mm-hmm. I don't think, I would have never expected it to be like that. I would have been shocked if they'd done something a little more ensemble for this. Yeah, yeah. Because um, that's how PD operates. They're just like, okay, yeah, yeah it's our 200th, moving on. Yeah. Or, like, yeah. if we actually had a not-character-driven episode and we had, like I said, you know, like, oh, there was Berzik, but there's Kevin. And then there's also, you know, Voight and Haley. Like, if that would have been weird because we just don't do that anymore. Right. So this felt just very true to who PD is. And I yeah. really appreciated it. Or who PD yeah, is nowadays. So. Yeah. I agree. And I was just I glad agree. they didn't have to share it with Fire. My only my only gripe about this episode is that I wish Benjamin had been in it. I realize he's brand new, but he's still part of this family. That was so weird. It like, was weird. They make the comment, and I guess, okay, so we've known for a little while that Benjamin wasn't going to be in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess my thing is, like, was that a writing choice? Like, I felt like it had to be a writing choice. But then, again, if it's a writing choice, that felt weird, too. Mm-hmm. 
Because, like, you barely see anyone else in this episode. Like, it, you see Marina and you see Patty. And that's pretty much it. You see, I mean, you see a few scenes of everyone else, but barely. I feel like Kevin and Haley have, like, two lines each in this episode. And Voight had, like, five. Yeah. Which, like, for Voight, that's very few. Yeah. Um, So I guess my question is, like, if you're already not spending that much time with the other characters... Like, why ben, Why couldn't Benjamin have been there? Right. And also, he's presumably the future of this show. Right. He's the one that's the, theoretically going to be around the longest. So he's going to propel episodes 200 and beyond. Right. Like, he's, yeah, he's part of this family, too. I just, that that bugged me a little bit. That, like, he wasn't in any of the promo photos for the 200th. Like, he, you know, he, he's been off doing press, but also, but, like, again, no, he No, but I think he was off too. doing, like, that's not why he wasn't in the episode. That came as a result of him not being in the episode. Yeah. Like, they didn't just be like, oh, we need Benjamin to do press in L.A., so, like, don't put him in the 200th episode. Like, that's not how that went. He did went and did press in LA because he was free for a week. Yeah. And that I like it really bugs me. I mean, we've known about that for a while and like it's bugged me literally for these like 8 weeks or however long we've known about it. It's like Oh, we've been scratching our heads about it the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone everyone, you know, especially when the promo or the photos came out of them with the cake or whatever and I was and everyone's just like, "Where's Benjamin?" and I'm just like he was not on set he wasn't filming like no i know those pictures were a mixed bag right because a lot of us were like where's jesse why isn't jesse there like even though he's not on the show he should be there and he was there thankfully we found that out later but with that said jesse and benjamin should have both been there yeah Jesse and Benjamin. Well, going back to the Jesse things, it's so weird it makes the fact that jesse's pretty much been on set this whole time um, like shadowing directors and then obviously getting ready to direct um 16 it's just so weird because like he's not in the official promo photo you know the photos with the cake or whatever right and then it's like all these other photos of him coming out getting to celebrate the 200th it's like it's so weird it's like i'm there and i'm the one that like helped start chicago pd but it's like my face isn't on the cake and you know like which isn't really that important but it's like oh it's just weird it's, it's like so weird, weird that he was there. Like I wanted him there, but also it was weird to see him there. It was really weird. It was really weird. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I agree with that. So, all right. So we we start off this episode, and again, this was a very atypical structure in that the first three acts were all Berzik. Yeah, we didn't see anybody else from the team. So Berzik and Michaela are they're in the house. They're being domestic, and Precious Adams doing the dishes. It's Aww. really cute. So cute. I know. And Max should be doing homework, but she's got the TV on. And so Kim's like, no, like, we're not doing that. We're, you know, a couple more minutes and we're going to bed. Oh, my goodness. They're such a family. I die. I love this so much. It's so, so good. It's so good. So uh, she turns off the TV and as she's cleaning up, a car backfires, which like immediately triggers her. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, like, the, the glass breaks, she cuts her hand, and she just immediately settles into, well, not a settle, you don't settle into a panic attack, but the panic attack just kind of overtakes her. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and she's just, like, she can't really hear anything. She's just kind of, like, wrapped up in her own fear. And so Matt calls Adam over, and Adam handles it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, this is talking as someone who does have panic attacks from time to time. Uh, Adam handles it perfectly. 
perfect. Like he's nice and calm. He's not telling her it's all in her head. He's just reminding her. He's like, you're here with me. Just breathe. Like it's going to pass. And that is what happens. They nailed the portrayal of panic attacks. Yeah. Um, Nailed it. Nailed it. But like, oh, poor Kim. God, I felt so bad for her. Every single one. I was just like. Every time I see those Roy flashbacks, I have like a moment where I'm like, I don't want to watch this again. So like obviously being Kim's shoes and like having been the one that experienced it and like conjuring that memory again, I can't even imagine. Right. Right. I I wish that there had been some, some, like there were certain questions that were not asked in postmortems that I really wish were. I would have asked Marina how like physically taxing it is to act a panic attack. It's one thing to have one, but to act one, yeah, and, like potentially fool your body into thinking there's danger. Oof, that might even be more exhausting than an actual panic attack. Yeah. Ooh. So we cut to Kim in therapy. It's about damn time. Therapy's a good thing, y'all. Yep. Good thing. Uh, yeah. And so the therapist just says she's like, it does sound like your partner had a point. So. So that's how we're defining Bursic now as partners. Partners. Okay. Oh, okay, I'll take it. I yeah, I mean, it's not like they're, you know, I don't know. I just, when she said she, you know, she's like, is that, oh, your partner? And I'm like, wait, so that's how we're defining the Bursic relationship? I know one of the preview articles had said, like called him, like, he called Adam her life partner. I was like, I'll take that too. That's not a bad, I like that. I kind of like that. I'll take it. I'll I mean, take it. Want more eventually, but you know, for now. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, that'll work. So, uh, yeah. And and she just said, she's like, I don't want to scare him or my daughter. So I'm here. But this whole time, she has this smile on. And it's this is an actual fake smile. Never mind Carver. But this is an actual, like, she's got, like, the this is fine face. Where she's just like, I'm good. Everything's fine. I'm here. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. No. We see right through that. We see right through that. So, uh, yeah, and so she doesn't quite admit to having episodes, but she does say this. I've been a cop for 10 years now, and uh, <laughs> I mean, I've been through a lot. I was shot about a year ago, almost bled out. It was six hours of my life. I'd have, I've had so many hours since then, and I've, I've dealt with it. I've been fine. I have been. You don't need to convince me of anything. I'm not. I'm just saying that I've been all right. Um, I think a case a while back brought the shooting back up for me in some way. And um, I'm here and I want to deal with it and go back to being fine. Mm. Am I supposed to fill the silence? What do you know about post-traumatic stress? CPD requires us to know a certain amount, and my daughter's been through trauma. So, but like I said, I've been fine. The thing is, post-traumatic stress isn't always shaking on the ground, panicking because a car backfired. Mm. Oftentimes, it's the narrowing of a life. It can be making your life small, making your life manageable, making decisions out of a fear you don't even know is there. It can be the pushing away of people you love, a feeling of numbness, the absence of joy, feeling cut off from the world. 
Trauma has a way of trapping you without you even knowing it's sitting there, right on top of your body, weighing you down until something makes you notice, until a car backfires and you're shaking on the ground, panicking because you feel like you've just been shot again. Is that what happened? I really like how this this therapist like framed trauma and how it works. Yeah. Yeah. No, I it. agree. It's, it's the narrowing of a life. And that's exactly what Kim has been doing since season eight. It's just none of us realized it until now. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I just... I'm glad that even though Kim, it seems like, was probably forced into this first therapy session, mm-hmm. that, like, I, she obviously doesn't want to be there, but, like, I'm glad that, like you said, that the therapist framed it this way. And so at least even if Kim doesn't seem receptive to it right this second, that, like, it's in the back of her head that, like, you know, she doesn't have... And it's obviously throughout this whole episode that, like, she doesn't have to be ashamed to, like... Like, PTSD is a thing that, you know... It's different for everyone who experiences it. And it's, you know, it does. it's not something to be ashamed of. Right. Right. Not at all. And, yeah... I mean, the other thing too is that I mean, I don't, I don't think she, I don't think she's ashamed of it. I think she's afraid to face it because she doesn't want to feel those emotions again. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, outside of therapy, Adam is waiting for her because, of course, he is. Obviously. Uh, obviously, like obviously. Do you think they have like find my phone on each other where like they can see each other's location at all time? Yes. I think so too. I hate that thing, but yes. Yeah. Or I understand it in some role like this, or like, you know, if you're a parent and you have kids, I understand it in that regard. I, what I don't understand is like when like people my age, you know, just like want to like have all their friends almost like it's a social media app and like be like, where are they today? And I'm like, I know. Like if I want want you to know where I am, I'll tell you where I am. Yeah. Okay. So that's weird. That's weird. But like having it on your friend and like, only checking it if you need to to make sure where they are i think that's acceptable yes no i think that is acceptable but like i just remember like when i was you know and this was pre-pandemic so maybe things have changed a little bit but like i just when i was in dc my friends would always use it and be like and i don't want them to add me because like i don't i mean i think it'd be great in an emergency situation but like i don't need them to like those be like oh where is you know so-and-so oh they're at you know this apartment you know or like they're at their apartment just and i'm like who cares Mm -hmm. it's not a social media app it has a purpose right yeah so adam's waiting he's like i thought i'd give you a ride that's love yeah that's love um and so you know he's asking how it went and she's like it's fine she was nice uh, and I, I just love when he's like, so does she think it was a flashback or something? And she just gives him this glare. Yeah. And like all he says, he's like, don't look at me like that. Like they've grown so much because in the past, like in the past, she would give that look and Adam would back off. And now he's like, no, you don't get to do that anymore. Yeah. I loved him. He was like, you know, he's like, I just, you know, I want you to talk to me. He's like, I need you to understand what's going on or I need to see what's going on. He's like, you know, just don't push me away. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, because, you know, they, they're not allowed to just like go about normally with their lives. Uh, a gunshot goes off in the subway and everyone starts panicking. And even though Kim is triggered by gunshots at the moment, she like her instinct is still to run towards it. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's a boss. I love it. 
So everyone starts panicking. Kim and Adam go check it out. They run to the subway platform and Kim sees a young male who basically is shot. He's got like, he's got blood like pulling on his shirt. Um, he gets on the train. So he, she and Adam do also. And so Kim goes to find the kid. Adam goes to find the conductor. They get separated and she does eventually find the kid. And he's just basically like mumbling about how like basically like not being gone in California. He just basically keeps saying like he wasn't there. He wasn't there. And so Adam eventually sees the offender, starts chasing after him. The train's still going at this point. It's just wild and crazy. Um, so eventually, like this, this the train comes to like a screeching halt, and everybody gets like thrown forward, Kim included. So Kim or Adam gets off the train, goes to chase the offender, uh, and while that's happening, like basically, the offender sees Adam and starts firing shots. And this triggers Kim inside the train car because it already the minute it went dark, she started to kind of feel it coming on. Yeah. But then the gunshots made it even worse. And it's repeated gunshots. So the more that they go off and the more noise there is, she's like bawling her face into the well, the kid's dead now, but she's like bawling her face into his shirt trying to shield herself. Yeah. And like right they got so many details on this, right? Right down to the fact that she's wearing the same color shirt she was the night she was shot. Is that the same shirt. jacket? No, maybe. It just looked very similar. Like the jacket that she uses to like put on the guy to like stop him from bleeding. Huh. That's a it kind of looks very similar. But yes, her whole outfit in general, from the shirt down, you know, to the jeans, like that looked like again, it's supposed to, I guess, mimic what she was wearing when she was shot. But the jacket, just something about the jacket. I was like, is that the same jacket? It was the yeah the exact same and so like i think all of that just kind of came floating back to her because like she's she's lying in the same position she was when she was shot she's wearing a similar colored shirt i imagine she threw the other one out uh and yeah and it's dark and she's hearing gunshots it's all it's all the same circumstances from when she was shot in 816 so of course yeah. the memories are coming back to her and she even gets this like she because i mean she's covered in this kid's blood right she even gets a lot of blood like in the same spot and so like probably feeling that like wetness yeah uh, probably sent it all like flooding back and so like she has a she has a nasty panic attack like really really bad because i mean the gunshots are going off it's just it's just so much at the same time and so yeah so adam like he calls it in or whatever and he he turns another way to go after the offender and he hears kim scream and in just typical Adam fashion, he's just like, I'm going to go after the nope, I'm going back to Kim. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just Adam. Adam. But she's having a really bad attack. Like, really, really bad. They differ for everybody, but for her, it seems like she really can't breathe. And that's scary. That's yeah. really scary. So Adam handles it perfectly. It's just, and, and he's really calm about it too. Cause like when he gets on the train, he like, she could be shot again. He doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, and he's really calm. So, yeah, but he pulls her out of it. It's good. He just kind of pulls her up and is like, you're not shot. You're right here. You're good. You're good. Berserk shippers everywhere kind of collectively died. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, though. Adam handled it really well. Like, I, Adam does not strike me as the kind of guy who has, like, anxiety and panic attacks. So, he no. handled it. No, yeah. I, I don't think he does. And I think even if he did, he probably wouldn't admit it. Yeah, agree. Yeah. So. It's a good moment, though. It's a really good Berserk moment. Yeah. So they come back from commercial. There's a little detail here that I also really appreciated. So they come back from commercial 
and uh, the, the, the kid's dead body is just lying there and it's just him and Kim. So Kim is sitting on the chair and like, you know, everything's kind of cooled down by then. But like, there's this look on Kim's face and she looks tired and she looks numb. Mm-hmm. Both of which are completely accurate. Yeah. Completely accurate. I know that I'm on the tail end of a panic attack when I start to feel tired. My eyes get heavy and I just know I'm like, okay, it, it's ending. It's happening. But like literally the day after, I call in sick the day after a panic attack and I just rest the whole time. Like they're brutal. They yes. are brutal. Brutal. So yeah. So she's just kind of taking that moment to be like really tired and numb and just kind of like recover. The minute Adam comes in, she's like full steam ahead. So Adam's like, the team's here. They shut down the rails. Like, but you should probably take some time. Like you should probably take a breather, maybe talk to the therapist. And she's like, no, we need to find the guy who killed this kid. Yeah. And so Adam kind of knows at that point. He's like, all right, Kim's just going to Kim her way out of this. Mm -hmm. Whatever. So, uh, yeah. And then like when they get on the platform, first of all, um, Platt immediately is like, are you okay? And she's like, no, I'm fine. Did you catch the, like the look that Kevin gives her? Yes. It's like, I want to say something, but I'm going to hold it for right now. Yeah. It's like, I'm really worried, but I'm not going to say anything right now. Yeah. Yeah. I did catch that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I wonder like, what, what do they do? It's like, if Kevin's worried about Kim, does he like say anything or does he just like assume that Ruzik has it handled? Um, he may not say something like in a situation like this, he may not even say something to Kim. He may just go ask Adam and like, you know, I think it's both. I think he knows that Ruzik can handle it, but he checks in with Ruzik to make sure everything's okay. Yeah. And that like Ruzik doesn't need support in supporting Kim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something I something I thought because there, there was another Bridgewater scene later on where I was just kind of like like he wants to ask but he's not going to. Yeah, um, I would yeah. pay good money to like read, like have like the Bridgewater stuff that exists in like the white spaces, like all their kind of like basically the Bridgewater friendship that we don't get to see. I mean, we see moments of it obviously, but like you know, yeah, yeah, I would pay good money for like the extra Bridgewater content. I would too. I would too. I run out of patience. I can write like a sentence and then I'm just like, it plays out of my head. I'm going to leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't pay good money for that. So, um, yeah. And so, and, and this is where Boyd says, he's like, don't forget we're down a man. Torres has mandatory training. So if we need bodies, we'll pull them in. Okay. That's what I'm saying. It, it's so weird. It's so weird. So weird. It is really weird. So um, the, the, the whole unit goes one way and Burgess goes I'm going to the morgue and like Adam's face he's just like she's doing it again like she's doing the thing again but I'm just I'm gonna allow it I'm gonna allow it so Kim goes Kim goes with the body back to the morgue there's really nothing to ID him there's no tattoos no surgeries nothing but Kim looks through his clothes and she finds like a teeny bitty little sliver of paper yeah and somehow makes the connection that it's a luggage tag I definitely did not pick up on it. And I definitely did not pick up on the fact. I know I saw it in like your tweets and like you having a conversation that like people are like, oh yeah, she would have recognized it because she's an airplane. You know, she has, you know, previously was a flight attendant. And I was like, I literally would not have picked up on that. I'm mad at myself for, I'm mad at myself for forgetting and missing that connection. 
But even then, I just, I don't know if I would have recognized it from those, like, four numbers that, like, that was what that was, but. I guess when you're a flight attendant, you know, like, all the details. I think, yeah. 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 Oh, I was so mad at myself that I missed that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, she finds the torn baggage claim ID because she's amazing. And from that, that's how they get their ID. So the kid who was shot, his name is Jamie. The offender is his uncle. Yep. This case is so sick and so twisted and so dark. Oh, my goodness. Brian, take it from here. Yeah. So basically, now that they have all the players, they just have to figure out, like, the details in between, like, why his uncle killed Jamie. So the uncle's name is Aaron. So they roll up on Aaron's house and they only find his wife, obviously. And she's like, I don't know anything about what he's been up to. She's like, you know, he just left, but Jamie's never stayed here before. But yet they go into one of like the spare bedrooms and they find a bunch of Jamie's stuff, like his wallet, his ID, whatever. So clearly she's lying. Um, Could you imagine being fast asleep and just immediately hearing Chicago PD get up and turning around and being Voight? That's what nightmares are made of. That is what nightmares are made of. I think I've had a night. I've had that exact nightmare before. Yeah. Um, so like I said, they know that something fishy's kind of going on here and Burgess feels it. So she asks about their other son, Lucas. She's like, oh, well, where is he? And the mom's like, oh, well, he's out of town on vacation with family in California. And so Burgess starts to put two and two together. And she's like, I think this is what Jamie was talking about. That like they did something to Lucas and, you know, then therefore Aaron did something to Jamie to keep him quiet about the Lucas stuff. So the next day they do like a full search of the house and like, they don't find anything at first. And like, they're even trying to figure out like, are there family members in California? And fun fact, there are not. So it's all clearly a lie. Oh man. So they're digging in the garage and Kim notices this mark on the ground from like a door, like when you like a door that's just hanging too low to the ground and it like scratches it. So she ends up moving in a cabinet and ends up finding this like hidden door um, in the wall. And so she opens it and inside they find like a bed and, you know, some bowls of food, you know, whatever. And they find some wet blood. So clearly that's where they kept Lucas and they just moved him. The thing that kills me about this is we never get an explanation of why. Yeah. And that's the thing. So, like, even at one point, they're like, oh, well, the neighbors mentioned that, like, you know, once they had the new baby, they stopped seeing Lucas and, like, he was pulled out of school. Like, it is the one thing I really like this episode because I thought that, like, they did so well interweaving the personal with the case and that it didn't feel as heavy because it didn't feel like it was, like, all case. (laughs) But at the same time, I think the case had a few holes. Like, they didn't like not that it really matters in the end why the family did what they did but like i still want to know why and i feel like if this hadn't been as personal of an episode we would have gotten that answer yeah i worry that like maybe once they had the baby they realized they couldn't keep like they couldn't afford both kids but like my god but even then to be like oh yeah we can't afford both kids so we're just going to you know kill one yeah or like fuck over this like that's like yeah it's insane yeah yeah 
So they bring in the wife for questioning, but she's, of course, lawyered up. She's like, they're not, you know, she's not saying anything. So they basically, they end up getting Jamie's phone records. And he had repeatedly tried to call and text, you know, his uncle, um, like, trying to talk to Lucas. And then, you know, basically, he discovered that they were lying. Um, So they end up, traffic cams end up picking up Aaron's truck, like, entering some park. So when Challenges, of course, goes after him. But the park is so big that they have to split up to do a grid search. Um, so even like the Burzik rides together and they're kind of in the same area, like Ruzik goes one way and Burgess goes the other way. So she ends up coming across Aaron's truck and it has a shovel in the back. So it's pretty obvious what he was going to do. Dude, what the fuck? Yeah. So much. And also, up. why didn't he take the shovel with him? You know? My guess is that he had Lucas in that spot and then maybe Lucas slipped free trying to, like, run away. And so, like, why is he just going to run around with a shovel? But, like, he probably should have run around with a shovel if he was trying to do what he was trying to do. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so wrong. Yeah. So then she hears Aaron and ultimately Lucas in the distance. Um, And she actually ends up finding Lucas first. And she finds Lucas in this well and he's hurt he's hurt his leg you know from the fall or whatever so she goes down there with him and as they're down in the water Aaron finds them and he and Kim get into a little bit of a shootout and luckily nobody was hurt because old or further hurt and so ultimately what Aaron decides to do rather instead of shooting he covers up the well and puts a bunch of rocks on it so basically they're they're trapped in there to essentially freeze to death I guess yeah so Burgess has another panic attack, um, you know, but she, this time, rather than Adam being the one to pull herself out of it, she, she powers through. Um, and, you know, because Lucas is injured, he can't climb back up. So she climbs back up and she's able to end up knocking the cover off from the inside so that she can get out and finish calling for help. There are so many parallels in this moment to 816. Yep. Oh my God, there's so many. And I think that's the point, right? Yeah. Well, okay, so the belt, the yeah. belt, that that's definitely one. Um, when she, sh- like, obviously when she climbs up and she like shoulders off the, the wood and the bricks, that's yep. definitely like when she bashed the window with the with the brick. Um, and then when she was talking herself through it, she was like, breathe, get the kid out, get the kid out. Like, that's basically when she was like, don't die. Yeah. Like, so many parallels. But I love it because it's almost like it's almost like symbolism that kind of indicates like if you got through that the first time around, you can get through pretty much anything now. Yeah, you know, which well, no, I'll save that comment for the next scene. But um, <laughs> so yeah, so basically, even though she just called in for help, you know, Adam comes rushing over, and you know, Kim's freaking out because she's like, "Where's Aaron?" And he's like, "You know, Aaron's dead," and Kim you know, Adam ends up being the one to go back down into the well and get Lucas out. And Kim just kind of finishes going through what she's feeling and she just kind of sits there. Um, and she's just like, it's kind of, I think, partly, you know, coming down from her panic attack, but also being like, holy shit, I just did that. Yeah. And that just happened. And hypothermia, because she's shaking like a Well, leaf. yes, and hypothermia, but yeah. also like a holy shit moment. Yeah. Um. And then this episode ends and we have Kim back in therapy. 
I can't feel this. Feel what? Like I'm getting shot all over again. Like I'm bleeding out every time I hear a gun go off. I almost lost that boy. You didn't lose him. You saved him. You told yeah, him he's yeah, gonna be but just I, fine. I can't be who I want to be with this. Not for my daughter and not for Adam. And I can't be a cop. They bench cops for this. I can't not do this job. I don't ever want to not do this job. You said I'm trapped. But I can't be trapped. Okay. Then we work on getting you free. I love this for her. Same. I mean, Same. A, it's a long time coming, but B, I'm glad that, like, yes, it's a long time coming, but she needed to make this choice for herself. Mm-hmm. Not because Adam told her she needed to go to therapy, not because Kevin told, you know, not because anyone told her she needed to, but because she wanted to do it and she wants to get better for herself. Right. Um. Yeah. And I, you know, it was, it was interesting. I was listening to this podcast yesterday so yesterday being wednesday um and i'd already seen this episode obviously like you said we got screeners for it and they were talking about like it was about with like uh the it was with an author who just wrote a book about like the uh frontline workers during covid and during like the pandemic and he was talking about like ptsd and how like obviously you know ptsd a lot of people you know think of it as post-traumatic stress disorder but he you know and I guess in trauma, which I don't know a ton about, like, I don't do my research in trauma, but I guess some people refer can refer to PTSD as also, like, post-traumatic stress development because, like, if you reframe it and, like, with the positive, they're like, mm-hmm. yes, you go through the post-traumatic, you know, the traumatic thing that has you experiencing PTSD, but because, like, there is some positive that can come out of it because you are going to go through a development that if you put in the work, you're going to come out for like the positive and it's going to, you know, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and you're going to go through all these things and you're going to be a better, stronger person because of it, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. And I was just, the whole time I was listening to this podcast and then talking about PTSD and reframing it, I was thinking about Kim and I was thinking about this scene specifically and just like, yeah, Kim went through all this shit. And now she's made the choice that she's going to work on getting herself free. And like, she's going to come out better because of the PTSD that she went through. Yeah. And I was just sitting there and I was just like, wow. Like I was just sitting there as I was listening. I was like, this is just Kim. Like, I'm so happy for her. Yeah. And asking for help is strength. Yeah. That is the strong part. That is being strong. And the fact that she just, she knows there's no way out of it. There's no way around it other than through. Yeah. Yeah. And like she says, you know, she's like, I'm not, you know, I can't be who I want to be with this. She's like, not for, you know, yes, she's doing it for Michaela and for Adam, but that's not, she's ultimately doing it for herself. Yeah. 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 And I'm just, I'm so happy for her. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's a very, it's a very important decision that she's made. Yeah. And I'm glad she did it for sure. Yeah. yeah. I just hope we don't then, like, 
I know next week is more of like a Ruzik-ish episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yes, there's Berzik, I'm sure, but like, you know, more of the Ruzik side of things, whereas this was more the um Kim side of things. But like, I just hope it doesn't take us another 20 years or 20 episodes to get another like I need an update of Kim's therapy like sooner rather than later you know we're not gonna get it yeah I know it's wishful thinking Mm because like we know next week we got Ruzik and then the week after well then the next episode after that's Voight I'm sure we're gonna get another Taurus at water episode in and then you're gonna have Haley and Sean you know at some point come back to get you know it's like no I thought I thought like 17 was like a Burgess or something like that I Uh, was just saying that like at some point you know yeah or no, I'm sorry. I think 18 is a Burgess episode because she had commented. Uh, somebody had said something on her Insta about Burzik and she was like, just wait for episode 202. Well, then wouldn't that be 16? Yes, I can't math. So that would be Jesse's up. That would be the Void episode. Maybe it's 203 then. I thought she said 2022, though, now that you're saying. But, like, I guess my point is, like, we're going to have at least another Atwater episode. You're going to have at least probably another Torres episode. You're going to at some point get more Haley and Sean stuff. So, like, there's Mm -hmm. not that much time in the grand scheme of things. And, like, but I just, I we've come so far, and I just don't want them to, like, I don't want it to be a whole another season before we get more Burgess therapy stuff. Right. Or at least an update on how it's going. Mm -hmm. So... That was my point, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just I'm so happy for Kim. Same. So. Um. Yeah. So we had a bunch of listener thoughts. Um, Heather B said, "I want to wholeheartedly love this episode because we have been asking for it for so long, but I don't. I liked it. I thought Patty and Marina were excellent." The action, lighting, cinematography were phenomenal, but it shouldn't have had to be the 200th. Imagine this storyline, but have it run parallel to Haley's at the beginning of season nine, showing Haley and Jay and Kim and Adam are coming from two different sides of the same issue and having similar experiences, or taking the place of Stillwaters. I just, or just done while Jay was still there because she may not know his name, but surely Kim remembers Jay has both been shot and experienced PTSD in the past. I'm just bitter about PD right now and some of the fumbling choices they've made over the last two seasons, and it made it harder to watch this episode. It didn't feel like a big milestone episode. It just felt past due. As much as I wanted to, as much as I wanted exactly what they gave us to show Kim finally confronting being shot, it felt like a random episode instead of a milestone that could have been about the whole team as a whole and a missed opportunities to finally promote Ruzik, Burgess, and Atwater to detectives. That would oh my have God, been is a, that ever going to happen? I don't know, but that would have been an interesting 200th choice, though, as like mm-hmm. a celebration. Um but she said, all that said, I do like that they're confronting the issue of PTSD and high-risk jobs and the fear that it will keep someone who is experiencing it from being able to do their job. Law enforcement and military both have a stigma surrounding PTSD and that, if found out, the person affected will not be allowed to continue their job and their life will be ruined. Both law enforcement and military also have extremely high suicide rates. So I'm glad they're finally... I'm glad they finally have decided to confront this topic and hope that we get to see more from Kim and her struggle with it. But also Adams as her partner and co-parent to Mac. We want to all see them finally get together, but her opening up to him and trusting him fully will mean so much as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aaron said, Marina demolished it. Like, girl can act. I'm so proud of her. 
therapy. Finally, I'm very much still bitter about how this was all ignored last season and given to other characters. So this episode was long overdue. My only criticisms were number one, why did they have to have Adam take so long to get to her? Seemed unrealistic. And number two, I could have just used one more Burzik scene at the end. I actually heard that from a lot of people that people were like, I just kind of wanted the end to be like Burzik at home. Yeah, and like I said, hopefully by next week being more of a Ruzik episode, we'll get maybe a tiny bit of, like, continuation. I mean, I don't know, probably not, but, like, mm-hmm. I think it's nice that we're getting at least a Marina episode and then a Patty episode, like, back-to-back. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. And then Aaron said, as a Burzik fan, I feel like this was a great step. I just hope they continue to take steps forward and hopefully by the end of the season reunite, in parentheses, because your girl's tired and desperate for them to be a couple again. That's funny. Yes, Aaron, we know your struggle. Yeah. The struggle is real for Burzik fans. Um, oh, Aaron warned us before she sent that email, too. I was, yeah. that, that was cute. Yeah. Um, Devin A said, holy wow, PD was an emotional roller coaster. Every part of it, I was truly on edge. Marina's acting was phenomenal in every part of this trauma journey. Every bit of each panic attack, I felt the emotion and exhaustive nature that she was putting into them. Adam being her safe place is truly where he belongs. He really does center her back to reality. And when she hurts, he hurts. I'm glad that she finally had the realization that it is okay not to be okay. And focusing on improving your mental health, no matter what state it's in, is 100% okay. It's not seen as weakness. Also, the parallels to 816 were so well done. Can we get her away from the white sweaters too? They (laughs) seem to be bad omens for her. Jeez. I could have had a final scene between her and Adam after they get Lucas out of the well where he's just holding her and she can finally let her emotions out. Can we get a combo between her and Haley about dealing and recovering from trauma? Literally, they're the two most traumatized characters in one Chicago. I'm hoping that the foreshadowed surprising direction that they are going to going leads them to finally committing to each other somehow. I know they aren't in the traditional romantic relationship, but for the love of God, just give the Berzik fans what we want. Yeah, okay, so let's touch on this for a second. In, in, in the postmortem, in a lot of the postmortems, Marina said that they're basically going in a direction that is going to surprise a lot of people. Um, talking to Lauren after this episode aired, and she was, of course, spiraling over that sound bit. She was just like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I think by this point, we're all, you know we all expect them to crash and burn. And so the surprising direction will probably be that they are going to take that step towards being together. But what does that look like though? I guess, cause like, I don't see them really right now. Like, I don't know if I see them being like, yeah, we're going to be together. Like, I just feel like the Berserk relationship has changed so much that like, I don't even know what their like next step looks like. Like, Maybe I don't know if kinda... they go back to having like a, like a, normal romantic relationship like they did in the early seasons of pd i mean granted because they've changed a lot too but like i just don't see them being all like lovey-dovey berzicky like you know like i just i don't know what that romance like if they are taking the next step like what does that look like for them in their new normal i could see them deciding to start over yeah i could see that i could see something like that maybe yeah I don't know. Especially I'll be if, curious if to Kim see. is if Kim is going to be working through her trauma and really like growing as a person, she's going to come to realize that you know I've got to sh- I've got to show Adam the same love that he shows me. Yeah, and so I could definitely see that them being like, let's start over and like easing back into dating. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. 
Manny said, I thought this was a great episode. In my opinion, the best of the season by far. Was a little too a little disappointed they didn't have an actual celebration of the 200th, but I'll gladly take what they gave us instead. The beginning of the episode and the train scene were really excellent, and I think everyone from Marina and Patty to the crew did a great job on it. Those scenes were definitely pretty hard to watch, and at times consider I considered if I was going to continue given the intensity. I'm really glad I stuck with it, though. I loved how Kim realized that the trauma from her abduction and shooting had been affecting her, and what's even more awesome is how she realized that she wasn't feeling great, that she was feeling trapped, trapped, and that she realized that it didn't always have to be that way. She realized she didn't have to stay stuck in the past with the trauma manifesting itself the way that it did, but that she could move forward into a place of healing and a bit more ease and joy into the everyday. The episode hits a bit close to home with the attention played to Kim trauma, Kim's trauma as a person who's gone through trauma myself, but they did an amazing job with it, as well as the explanation of post-traumatic stress, and I couldn't be more happy with the journey they took Kim on this week. Finally, I thought the arc of the episode was really beautiful, the way they mirrored Kim's journey from a sense of feeling trapped and overwhelmed to a sense of hope and more mental freedom was handled really beautifully. Yeah. I definitely agree. Definitely. Um, and then last up, Jeannie said, while Marina's acting was phenomenal, I was so disappointed in the writing again. All of their actors were like shadows in the background. The story needed more meat to it, more info on the family and why they kept Lucas Locke away in the shed, et cetera, et cetera. Haley could have been someone for him to talk to about PTSD and keeping it bottled up inside. The offender shot at Haley, so he is now dead, meaning Haley probably shot and killed someone again. Can we please stop talk- traumatizing Haley and Kim? I, I would like it, but, yeah. you, know, you know. And I think, I don't know, I, I know people are disappointed in the writing, and I think there's a difference between, like, at this point being disappointed and like the actual story and like being disappointed in the uh format because like at this point i think we've all realized that like pd has solidified this format they're not moving away from it this is like the new normal i mean it's been the normal for a long time now so Mm -hmm. like yeah would it have been great like we were talking about earlier like would it have been great for like to see more of the other actors for benjamin to actually even be in the 200th episode of course it would but like Mm -hmm. i've tried to move past being disappointed in something because it's so character driven versus like what's actually happening in the storyline yeah because like at this point like me being disappointed if i'm gonna be disappointed in the format then like i'm just gonna be mad and like why do i want to watch the show if i'm just disappointed because like i'm not getting the balanced episodes like i'm not we're not getting those anymore like they don't exist in pd land no so like i'm trying like i can't get up mad about it because otherwise i'm just gonna hate watch it and i don't want to hate watch pd well and a lot of people were like why didn't we celebrate the team why did we just celebrate one character why not celebrate burgess why not well, and because that's how the show is structured in these days. Like, they're not, like, it would, they're not going to do a whole team episode. Right. That's not what they're going to do anymore. They've never done it before. Well, no, but, like, if you're talking about, like, the early seasons of PD, it was, like, way more balanced. I think that's what people mean. Like, it felt like more of an ensemble show back then. See, and, and I, I heard you say this the other day, and um, I, I don't know if it was, like, on FaceTime or what, but... Um, because yeah, I, I heard you mention this the other day that, you know, the, the early seasons were more of an ensemble. But that is not how I remember seasons one through four. I remember seasons one through four as the Voight and Lindsay show. No, but I think they're more. Yes, I think Voight and Lindsay had up like had the main arcs. Yes. But you at least had you had the patrol stuff. You like it wasn't like you got Voight for one episode and then mm-hmm. like you moved on. You had your Kim episode. That's not how it was structured. They were still more balanced in that like 
you had an A storyline, which yes, a lot of that was always Voight and Lindsay, but you still had like B, C, and D storylines too. Yeah. That's more what I I mean. I get it. I mean, again, this is a transition year. I think the shows are just kind of trying to re-find their footing. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was great. I really liked this episode. I was very happy with it. And, like, I like that the case was so easy to handle because, like, I don't feel like an idiot for missing details. No. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, in a normal time, what in a normal world, would I have liked a little more details on the case? Yeah, I kind of want to know why, like, you know, what happened to make the mom and dad, you know, start, you know, treating their son that way. And, like, wh- yeah, of course, would I like more details on the case of course i would but like Mm -hmm. i didn't need them and i thought this episode just flowed really nicely it also may have helped that like when i watched it for the first time it was like on a screener at like 7 30 in the morning so i wasn't like dead tired from the day yet Mm -hmm. um because like pd just like it's so late and it really it really you don't think that like oh yeah just watching something like that and you know at 10 o'clock at night would like really affect you but no it really does it's really hard to watch pd that way to to wrap your brain around an episode of pd the way that we do it is a lot to ask at 10 o'clock at night on a wednesday and it's hard to do it's hard it's really hard Uh, i mean i even i tweeted about it earlier this week about the void episode last week there's a key part of that episode that i missed that i mean i watched the episode i just didn't digest it and, yeah. uh, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, well, crap, okay, that I should have probably given Voight more credit where he was due, but it's hard to wrap your head around it sometimes. And so I like that this case was light on the details so that I didn't feel like I was behind. Yeah. It's also probably good that we didn't find out the reason because that case was so freaking dark. I don't know I if mean, I want yeah. to know. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to know, but like, I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Any other notes on this 200th episode of PD? No, I really liked it. I did too. It was definitely one of my favorites of the season for sure. Yeah, it looked really good. It was really, really <coughs> good. So that's about all we've got for today. Um, as always, you know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok. Meet us at Molly's right across the board. Um, email us anytime about anything. Seriously, anytime, anything. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. We also watch other shows. We're watch- we're making our way to the Oscar movies right now uh, for homework. But for homework, yeah, for homework, yeah, uh, yeah. Email us anytime about anything. Um, if you like the show, which we really hope you do, please follow us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review us. That would be really great. We would greatly appreciate that. Follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Gina Watches TV. Bryna. I'm at Bryna K13. You'll hear from us next week. There are new episodes. Um, our little sister, Lauren, will be with us. Um, and by with us, I mean she will be sitting right next to me as we record because she will be here with me in Texas. Um, and then the next day we will all join together in New York and and cause all sorts of trouble for the whole weekend. It's going to be awesome. So uh, so yeah. excited. I know. I'm so excited. It's going to be really fun. So yeah, in the meantime, everybody have a great weekend and we will see you next week. Bye.